It's the Mixed Martial Arts Hour with The Mixed Martial Arts Hour back in your life on this Monday, January 7th, 2013. Yes, our very first show of the new year, and it is so great to be back here in our New York City studio, sporting a bit of a tan, as you can see, longer hair, switching it up here in 2013. So great to be back for another two-plus-hour edition of the MMA Hour, and as you know, or maybe you don't know, I'm a very anxious person, my friends. I'm a, I'm the kind of person who, I hate to say it, often looks at the, the glass half empty. And I'm the kind of person that when it's like a three-year anniversary show or episode 100, things like that, I know I have to deliver. I know I have to, to bring out the big guns, and that makes me very nervous. That makes me very anxious. It often makes me strive and pushes me to book the best kind of show possible. And that's kind of what this situation was. I knew we took a three-week break. I knew a lot of you were very upset about it. I knew a lot of you were jonesing for the show during the holiday break. And all throughout the holiday break, I was wondering, how are we going to make it up for you, to you? How are we going to come out with the big guns? How are we going to start the year off on the right foot? And my friends, I sit here today, barring injuries, barring any no-shows, very happy with myself, I must say. We have brought out the big guns, my friends. Three people on this very show will break their silence. Three men who we've wanted to hear from for a very long time will be breaking their silence today right here on the MMA Hour. Before we get to that, let us welcome in the back. We've got Isaac, we've got New York Rick, and we've got Will in the house replacing Buzzkill Brendan, who's over in Las Vegas, cheating on us with another website. Will, you may remember him from uh, the Mayhem Miller interview in Central Park. Great crew in the back and a great lineup here on this very program. In the second hour, we'll be joined by Strikeforce CEO and the founder of the San Jose-based organization, Mr. Scott Coker. We've wanted to talk to Scott for a very long time. Of course, this is the final week for Strikeforce on Saturday night, January 12th, Oklahoma City, Oklahoma. They will put on their very last show ever Nate Marquardt, Tarek Safadine, want to talk to Scott, not so much about the negativity, not so much about the end, but about the legacy of Strike Force. Can't wait to have him back on the show. At 225, my friends, you better get ready for this. If you've been following Eddie Alvarez on Twitter, if you've been following the saga of Eddie Alvarez, the free agent, you know that this man wants to speak. He has a lot to get off his chest. He said yesterday in a tweet that the gloves are coming off on this very show. He is going to speak his mind about the negotiations between him, the UFC, Bellator, matching, free agency, all that craziness will clear it up right here on this show. Vitor Belfort stops by in the second hour as well. He faces Michael Bisping in one of the huge fights of the first quarter of 2013. It's UFC on FX7, Sao Paulo, Brazil. The Phenom stops by. Can't wait to have him on the show. Steven Espinoza. He is the executive vice president of Showtime Sports. We've been wanting to talk to him for months, it seems, um, and uh, for a long time, they didn't want to speak. And now with the end of Strike Force coming on, on Showtime this Saturday, Mr. Espinoza is stopping by. We'll talk to him about the last Strike Force show. We'll talk to him about the future of MMA on Showtime. Much to discuss with Mr. Espinoza. And at 125 or so, we'll be uh, talking to Ed Herman. Very interesting. He is going to Strike Force. On their final show, he'll be facing... Uh, Ronaldo Jacare Souza, and then he goes back to the UFC, kind of doing them a solid. We'll talk to him about how that came about. Also, want to mention, 
This DVD right here, there goes someone. Uh, this DVD right here, The Ultimate 100, the greatest fights in UFC history, on one little neat DVD, courtesy of our friends over at Anchor Bay Entertainment. This is up for grabs today, my friends. Uh, best question of the day gets this. Had to bring out a, a great prize for the first show of 2013. Eight this DVD set, over 25 hours of footage. There it is. The Ultimate 100 Greatest Fights. So lots to get to on this show. But we begin with one of our favorite guests, a member of Team MMA Fighting, also uh, of the Wrestling Observer Newsletter. Who better to talk about the history of Strikeforce, Strikeforce's legacy, than this man? Joining us via the magic of Skype, he is Dave Meltzer. Dave, how are you? I'm doing great. How are you doing, Ariel? Great to have you on the show. And, uh, of course, as I mentioned, who better to talk to uh, about the, the, the legacy and the history of Strikeforce than you, First, let's start contemporary, and then we'll move our way backwards. Um, Saturday night is the final show in Strikeforce's history. Is this good for MMA? Is it good that Strikeforce is finally going away? Um, you know, there's, there's two ways of looking at it. I mean, as a fan, for me, I like the fact that we're going to get to see, you know, we always get this tease, you know, like when Pride was bought and when, you know, uh, uh, you know, uh, Elite XC went out of business and things like that, that we're finally going to get all the, the top fighters under the same roof and they're all going to fight each other. And then when Strikeforce was purchased, when, when you did the interview, it was like, okay, now all those matches that we want to see are going to happen. And then they, because of contractual reasons, they didn't happen. So now they're really all going to happen. You know, Gilbert Melendez is going to get a shot at the lightweight title or, or at least put in contention where he can get the shot. And, and the world champions are going to be really, you know, as close to legitimate world champions as we've ever had since the, this sport ever started. So I think that's a good thing. Um, I like, you know, competing brands. I like it's good for the fighters. It's good for the fans. Um, I like the idea of fights on Showtime, and I hope that that continues. Uh, but I, I think that, you know, given what's happened in the past year, I think this is for the best. We did that interview in March of 2011, so a little less than two years ago. Are you surprised it lasted this long, the deal between Zufa and Showtime, and, and are you surprised that it's ending when it is? Um, I, I thought it, it had a chance to last for a long time, and then um, towards the end of 2011, I thought it was doomed, and then all of a sudden they had to come back and they made the deal, and then when they made the deal then, I thought, you know, and Dana White seemed on board for, you know, for the first time, I thought that it might last for a long time, and then, uh, you know, when it kind of started falling apart, you know, when they, when they did the two canceled shows, I thought it was really bad for the fighters. You know, there hasn't been a show since August. Most of these fighters haven't fought in, in a long, long time, far too long. And so at that point, it was kind of like, okay, let's, let's get this thing done with and over with, and let's move on to the next chapter in the history of MMA. Which strike force fighter, when they all come over, will have the biggest impact in 2013, in your opinion? Um, well, impact, it's going to be Ronda Rousey. Mm. I mean, unless, unless she goes to Liz Carmouche. I mean, as far as the other ones... Um, the one, uh, that, that's, a, you know, I mean, Cormier certainly has the shot to be in a championship mix. Um, Rockhold, it's going to take a few fights. Uh, Marquardt will be in the mix, but I don't know if he's going to get to the top of the mix. Melendez has a good shot. Um, so yeah, I mean, Jacare Souza, um, I, I would say, um, Rousey, Melendez and uh, Cormier, those three. Last thing on today's strike for us. Uh, this is the second time essentially that MMA on Showtime goes awry, right? They had the Elite XC deal, and then they went away for a couple months. They came back with the Strikeforce deal. Both of those 
ventures, if you will, do not end in, in a positive way for Showtime. Do you see them getting back into the MMA game after this? You're gonna you're gonna know more than me when you talk to Espinosa. He's he's the one who's gonna make the call. I think that if if it's if it's you know they're having a lot of success with boxing, so they may just go look. Let's stick with boxing. But the ratings for the MMA on Showtime have been good, and but at the same time, it's like where are they gonna get talent that's gonna be at this level? I mean, there's there's no you know before there was a, you know, when when Elite XC went down, there was a strike force and there were other people who were starting up. Um, now. I mean, where where do you go? Um, I guess I mean the one I see is 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 Glory, but then Glory says that they're getting out of the MMA business and they're going straight to kickboxing. So you don't even see that, and then they've got to, and they've got to deal with Spike anyway. So who is there? Um, I mean, the the guys on on Access. There's a lot of promotions there, but I don't see any of them ready to step up. I mean, maybe the best shot would be uh, Invicta, and then that's a whole different ball game. All women's MMA. I'm not. I'm not sure that that uh, Showtime is ready for that, and and I, I actually think it might do pretty decent, but I don't think that that's the direction they're going to go. When did you first hear about Strike Force? I mean, I was living in San Jose, so I couldn't tell you when I first heard about it. Um, I mean, I knew that there were shows, and I started going in the '90s in the kickboxing days. So I I think that I started going in 1998 to most of the shows. I mean, sometimes were with nights that I had scheduled conflicts and everything, but they used to run at the San Jose Civic Auditorium and, and at the San Jose State um, um, uh, Gym. So was, one was a 2,500-seat building, one was about a 5,000-seat building. And I went to a lot of shows then when, when Kung Lee was a star and uh, Alex Gong, who was a great kickboxer, and they would bring guys in, Jean-Claude Lair. Sometimes we'd have some K-1 guys on the show, um, you know, smaller kickboxers from all over the world. And, and, and they, were, they were fun marathon shows that were taped for ESPN2 before they got into MMA in 06. So, yeah, there you have it. March 10th, 2006, the first uh, sanctioned MMA event in California state history. It's Shamrock versus Gracie, Frank Shamrock versus Caesar Gracie. Can you take us back to that time? It feels like it was 30 years ago, but really, you know, a little less than seven years ago. A massive event for a Scott Coker and his crew. What was the buzz like in the, the Bay Area for this first event for Strike Force, as far as MMA is concerned? It was huge in San Jose, and it really picked up in the last week. I think that um, there was a combination of the novelty that people had, you know, MMA was was just getting big on with the Ultimate Fighter on Spike. So it was kind of a new thing. It was the first show outside of the, you know, a Native American reservation in California, the first one ever in our area for the most part that, you know, I mean, the closest that I remember going would be Lemoore, which is three-plus-hour drive. Um, and, you know, Frank Shamrock did a great job of promoting it. The buzz in the last couple of days was, was gigantic. Um, it, was, it wasn't the best Strike Force card ever by any means, it was, but the atmosphere was, was among the best for any shows. I mean, it was just like it was San Jose against the world, and it was a concept that worked. All the San Jose fighters were, you know, Josh Thompson, Daniel Pewter, Mike Kyle, um, Eugene Jackson from Palo Alto, you know, obviously Frank Shamrock and Kung Lee were the big stars. They were all, like, just so popular. And it, it was like, uh, it was a really a magical night. I mean, they turned away thousands when I went to the, we knew, I think the, 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 about a day or two before the show, we kind of, you know, it wasn't like it was an advanced sellout like a UFC show could be. This was something where, you know, I would get the ticket numbers every couple of days and they were growing and growing. And then about a day or two before, it's like, you know, they may sell out. And then I got there, um, you know, before the first match and there was this, you know, massive traffic jam and there were thousands of people turned away. And it was a really, it was an amazing scene. And at that point, it's like, oh, my God, they, 
they struck gold, and I was wondering, like, you know, how, I, I've seen shows like this before with wrestling, and it doesn't necessarily sustain. And I was wondering, like, are they going to be able to sustain? Is this a one-time fluke? And I mean, that they they pretty much they didn't ever they never captured San Jose, the the public in San Jose, like they did the first night. This was like it wasn't fight fans. This was like the thing to do in San Jose. It was just a cool thing. Guys out on dates, bringing girls. That's really what it was. And just rooting, you know, just seeing something that they've never seen before. That was really what the first show was. You know, they drew over 18,000 fans. As you mentioned, the buzz was great. The main event, though, after all that hype, Frank Shamrock, Caesar Gracie, only lasted 23 seconds. What was the the aftermath like? You know, it, it reminds me of almost JDS versus Kane, where uh, in this day and age, everyone's like, oh, this is horrible. They'll never be able to rebound on Fox, all that stuff. What were people saying after that? They, they got built up for this fight, and it only lasted 23 seconds. Did you think that the market may have died right then? Oh, no, no, not at all. But it was it was um, because the whole show underneath that, the people were just so into everything. It just felt like that this was like this hot new sport. And when the knockout happened so quick, I mean, people were like, whoa, wow. But they saw a knockout. I mean, they didn't it, it wasn't what they expected. I think that they wanted more of a match. But I think that it was a realization that, well, that's what happened. And it was a hell of a punch. No, I, I didn't think it hurt. But I do think that, you know, it wasn't. I was kind of hoping, you know, that, that we would get a ground game just because Caesar Gracie was so good on the ground and, and Frank was good on the ground. But it didn't happen. Caesar went to stand, left himself open, and, and that's what happens. I, I, it wasn't a negative, no. Why was that market so good for MMA? You know, you say they, they never recaptured that magic, but yet they still had the big shows like Shamrock and Baroni and, um, you know, Shamrock versus Kung Lee and, and other fights. I remember being there in attendance for Melendez Thompson. I remember being at a Bobby Southworth versus Babalu fight where that was the main event on HGNet, but everyone stuck around to see two former kickboxers who are one and O or O and one in MMA, and they really stuck around for them. Scott Coker was able to draw to his local market. That being said, though, why was that market, that tiny little area, Bay Area, why was that so good for MMA? I think just the fact it, we had AKA, we had a lot of good local fighters, and, and you, you can't. It really was Frank Shamrock and Kung Lee, I think, were, and 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 Scott as well. Scott as a promoter knew the market. I mean, they would send out mailers, you know, like, you know, we were on the mailing list from the kickboxing days. So there were lots of people who would, you know, find out, you know, in that way, they, they promoted very well. And, and, and Frank is fan, was fantastic at, at um, building up fights. When he fought, it was always a big deal. And Kung Lee has his, had his fan base going back. You know, Kung Lee was the first guy who I saw as a star in the original strike force in the 90s, you know, he, and he would be a guy who, you know, people around town knew who Kung Lee was. He was the, you know, he was the Vietnamese hero, but, you know, people knew that, like, hey, you know, let's go to see some strike force and we're going to see Kung Lee German suplex guys and scissors takedowns and all those crazy moves that he used to do in the early days when he was young and and, and amazing. And, and it was like just people would come to see the Kung Lee show and he had a name locally. So when those two guys, those two guys were, were on the card, it was always a big deal. And then in time, you know, like uh, Gilbert Melendez and Josh Thompson, I think that, you know, for, for a while there, those guys were popular. And it was just, you know, three, four times a year. It was a cool thing in town to do. Um, we got to see Gina Carano and Cyborg. We got to see Fedor. We got some really big we got some really big shows in the market. It responded. You know, obviously, the last Strike Force show in San Jose, it's kind of sad that that was the last one. And some people have gone, isn't it too bad that this show wasn't in San Jose, that, the, you know, the final show's in Oklahoma City. God only knows why. But <laughs> to me, 
<laughs> you know, the, the reality is, is I, I'm trying to figure out what the, the real last Strike Force show would have been um, to me when whatever the last one was that Kung fought on. I, 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 you know, that still had the atmosphere because, like, the last one, it, it wasn't, it really wasn't the same. It just felt like a different animal. It was, it, it wasn't like exactly UFC. But it wasn't. It just wasn't a big deal when when they had the last show here with um, and it was the third Thompson uh, Melendez fight, which the first two both drew very well. And then you look at the the last you know big MMA show in that area was Chris Weidman versus Mark Munoz. It was a Wednesday night in July. Uh, the attendance for that one was not good at all. Rumors are now that they're going to return for UFC on Fox Seven. But why has that market, you know, not? been as healthy i mean did the ufc kill the market what, what, what do you think it is i think i think that uh the i think that it was a market really dependent on local fighters um i think you know the first ufc with uh dan henderson and 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 shogun and they also had kung lee on the show um with with vanderlei silva i mean that was a very healthy crowd it wasn't it wasn't super though i mean it, it compared to you know what ufc drew in other places i think that what happened was is is we got in the market early. We got a lot of shows. People all saw it, and and the two heroes got old. And it was it was dependent. The the local fans were dependent on local heroes as opposed to national heroes. And the local heroes weren't there. The two big local heroes weren't there anymore. I really think that that that's what happened. Are you as surprised as I am that other upstart MMA organizations do not copy the strike force model? Build around local stars, you know, pick a market, just stick there, have a great relationship with the arena. Of course, this one, the owners own the arena, but, you know, just just stay somewhere and build from the ground up as opposed to, you know, I mean, you look at the last World Series of Fighting event, there wasn't one local fighter on the card. There wasn't one fighter from Las Vegas on the card. You're paying a lot of money to fly these guys in. You're not selling tickets that way. Are you, are you surprised that the organization, I know Monty Cox, you know, quietly does his thing over there, but... A promotion who's starting out doesn't look at this and say, okay, we're going to copy this model and do exactly what Scott Coker and his crew did. Are, are you as surprised as I am that people don't copy him? Um, I mean, that's, to me, it's the only way because you, you can't make money flying in the big names. I mean, it's already been proven. It's just not going to work. The only way to do it is – but one of the things you have, because we had AKA – so we had a lot of great fighters that were living here and, 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 and a lot of great fighters who were in their prime all at the right time that were exciting fighters. So it was a unique situation. A lot of markets, you know, you go to, you know, just let's say Nashville, Tennessee, and I'm just throwing out a city. Do they have that kind of level of local fighters, you know, fighting in the, in the area? Probably not. And again, you know, Kung was already an established star here from kickboxing, and, and nobody had that because kickboxing wasn't big anywhere else. And Frank was a legend from the old UFC days who was able to market himself as the best in the world. Whether he was or he wasn't at that time, he was able to market himself, and the people were willing to, you know, the people bought it at the time. And you, you don't have that either because everyone knows the best in the world are the UFC guys. So so as far as being able to go in there and, and do a big building, no. No, I mean, as far as, like, doing the 2,500-seat building in town, using lots of local fighters, yeah, to me, if you're going to build a local promotion, that's what you do. But the, the problem is is that then you're a feeder system. And and Strike Force was never, you know, in the kickboxing days and in, and in later in the, um, in the glory days here— the people that went didn't consider it a feeder system. It wasn't like, oh, you know, like if, if uh, Frank does well and wins three or four fights, then maybe he can go to UFC and make money. It was mm -hmm. like these were these guys are our guys. I mean, it was it's a different mentality. You can't you can't replicate the success that they had. You can't do that now. But as far as like you said, 
copy the the thing on a smaller scale, yeah, it's, it's the only way to go, I think. I'll put you on the spot here. Greatest fight slash moment in Strike Force history. They're two different things. The greatest moment was, um, to me, was when uh, Verdum got the triangle on Fedor. I was just, I mean, I don't know how long it was, you know, how many seconds it was. It felt like 15 minutes to me. It was the slowest time has ever gone in my life, except for maybe when my wife gave birth, was that well, that moment when that triangle was on. It was like, because you just, is he going to get out? Oh, my God. And it's like, but at first you didn't even believe he was, he, he could he could be submitted. It's Fedor. He was a myth. Right. And then it was like, He's not getting out. He's not getting out. And and all of a sudden, it was like, then he tapped. So that was the greatest moment to me. Uh, greatest fight. Uh, there's so many, but I would, I think I'm going to go with the second Thompson Melendez fight. I thought that fight was just one of the best live fights that I ever saw. So that would be the one. Off the top of your head, how many Strike Force events did you cover in person? I mean, I went to everyone in San Jose, and I went to, you know, San, you know, uh, I, I don't know the number. I was, I saw everyone, I think, except for one in Fresno. I think that, and, you know, the one in Seattle I watched on TV, which was a horrible show. Um, but uh, <laughs> but most of them were very good. The Tacoma one, right, with Bob Sapp? The Tacoma one with Bob right, Sapp. Yeah. That was a terrible show. But, you know, that was about the, the only bad sense. one. I think there may have been a Denver one I missed, and I know that there was a Fresno one that I didn't see. But I saw every other one. You know how many, I just looked this up. I don't know if you know this off the top of your head. How many Strike Force events have there been uh, after Saturday night? How many will there have been? I, I don't know. And I haven't been to every tra- challenge, although I saw every challenge one on television. 63. 63. So I would guess that I probably saw 58, 59, 60 of them. Wow. Uh, w- will you be there on Saturday night in attendance? No, just watching it on TV. <laughs> that doesn't seem right. You have to be there. You're That's- as much a part of it as anyone. Yeah, sometimes I feel that way. Um, <laughs> so, but you know what, though? I mean, and this is not a knock to the to the sale because it was the right business move for everyone at the time, and I wish it didn't happen. I thought I actually thought it was funny because um, when when they had the show at the Meadowlands, you know, which which did the record rating and for the first night of the heavyweight tournament, to me, you know, like there's a big difference between being a strong local promotion, which they were, and being a, a legitimate national force. And when they went, when they got the Showtime deal, they had to become a national force. And it's very, that's a very difficult thing. And they never, I guess, quite got there. The night of that Meadowlands show, when it was over, I emailed Scott Coker, actually right after the show, and I go, you finally made it. I actually believed, and this was before the ratings came out, and the ratings backed up my belief. They, you know, the, the, the heavyweight tournament was a big deal. It was a great show. And I thought, you know, not that they're going to beat UFC or anything like that, but you're you're finally going to be able to stand on your own and 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 make it. And then it was a couple of weeks later, I wake up and I've got a zillion text messages, and you better watch Ariel's Ariel's on the the, the thing with with Dana. You better watch it right now, which I had no idea was going to happen. And to me, that's when Strike Force was was done. I mean, and even though the name continued, and I went to a lot of shows, and some of the shows were very good. To me, once it's under Zufa ownership, it's Zufa. It was always Zufa to me after that, right. and nothing against it, but that's what it was. All right, Dave. Well, we appreciate the the look back at the history of Strike Force. Again, I, I try not to focus on the negativity this week because I do believe it had a, a fantastic legacy. I remember those shows. I got to cover many of them in San Jose. Just the vibe, the press conferences, the arena. I, there was just something special about them, and uh, it, it's kind of sad to see it go. And 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 hopefully those guys do well in the UFC, and and it's good for the sport. But for now, it's it, it, I think it's a it's an exciting time, but also a bit of a sad time in, in our sport. We appreciate the look back, Dave. Okay, thanks very much, Ariel. I really liked, enjoyed this. There he is, Dave Meltzer of uh, MMAFighting.com and the Wrestling Observer Newsletter, a San Jose resident looking back 
at the history of Strike Force. Like I said, uh, had the opportunity, and as I as I mentioned to someone last week, to me the the Strike Forces, the Elite XCs, the afflictions of the world, uh, the IFLs. I will always hold a very, very special place in my heart for them, particularly those uh, four, because when I started my MMA career not too long ago, around five years ago, my MMA journalism career, those were the ones who welcomed me with open arms. Um, you know, the IFL PR guy, Jerry Milani, Strike Force's PR head, Mike Framowitz, who's very much a part of the sport uh, with other organizations now, those are the guys who credentialed me. Those are the guys who gave me interviews. Those are the guys who, you know, gave me the time of day. Uh, it took me a while to, to work my way up to the UFC, which there's no problem with that. You have to work your way up. You have to, uh, you have to start somewhere. And they really gave me an opportunity. I'll never forget that. I'll never forget uh, covering the first, uh, my first Strike Force event, um, which was Melendez Thompson in June of 2008. Um, you know, getting to go to the Affliction show, getting to go to that Elite XC show in, in New Jersey with Kimbo Slice. Those Strike Force events, and particularly the, the Shamrock versus Nick Diaz one, the first one post the Showtime deal when they acquired all those Elite XC assets. I had just started working for AOL Fan House and Versus.com. And for whatever reason, they didn't want to send me out. They didn't want to paid as to, to, to send me out to San Jose to cover this Diaz-Shamrock event. So I applied for a credential under jerrypark.com, my first blog. It was kind of obsolete at this point, but I really wanted to be there. I felt like it was history. Um, and Michael Framwitz, head of PR, he credentialed me. And, and, and I really, truly appreciated that. And that was a magical night with Nick Diaz defeating Frank Shamrock. And some of those Strike Force guys, excuse me, some of those Elite XC guys making their debut, I remember it was a big deal. Brett Rogers versus Abango Humphrey. Uh, the, the, the card was hit with injuries, and there were some weird things going on with Alistair and whatnot. But um, th th that, that was a special time. And, and like I said, I think it is better for the sport today, given the current ownership situation for Strike Force. Um, that they are going into the UFC. I want to see those fights. I want to see guys like, you know, Daniel Cormier in the UFC. I want to see Luke Rockhold in the UFC. I want to see Gilbert Melendez in the UFC. I want to see Gegard Mousasi in the UFC. I want to see those guys in the UFC. It's still sad, though, that, that it's going away and, and we won't have that anymore. Um, in a minute, we will be joined by Ed Herman, the UFC veteran who will be fighting on the final strike force event, which I will be in attendance for. I will be covering it on Saturday uh, in Oklahoma City. Um, again, as Dave said, it, it, God only knows why it's in Oklahoma City. Well, you know, Cormier, you know, was a star at Oklahoma State, so it, it kind of makes sense. Um, and, of course, they have to make up for the fact, I guess, that they, they canceled that first event. But it's an intriguing card, and I felt it's history. It's the last one. We want to be there. We want to cover it, so we will be there. And an intriguing fight on that card is the former Strikeforce middleweight champion, Ronaldo Jacare Souza, fighting a UFC veteran who is, I guess, it's history. It's, it's an interesting footnote. The only guy to come over to Strikeforce since it was purchased by Zufa in, in March of 2010. Our guest right now, Ed Herman, who joins us via the magic of Skype. Ed, how hey, are hey. you? Uh, 
Good, man. How are you doing? I, I'm doing great. I'm so fascinated by this situation because it kind of came out of left field. Jacare was supposed to fight on this card. Pony gets injured. And all of a sudden, it's Ed Herman versus Jacare. No one saw this coming. How did you end up on this Strikeforce card? You know, uh, I my manager and asked me, and, uh, you know, a little short notice, but, uh, you know, I needed to fight. I hadn't fought since August. We've been, you know, asking him for a fight and this is a great fight it's a big name and uh, exactly what i'm looking for um and they're letting us do it at a catch weight so that's even better for me what weight will be contested at uh 194 so was that something that you asked for uh yeah it is because you know during the holiday you know i think it was four weeks notice they called me i was a little heavy so they're like how they 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 brought it up but we, oh. we accepted you know we weren't sure just because, you know, short notice fight. And they said, catch away. I said, no problem. Did you view it at first as a, a demotion or, you know, not as big time as the UFC? Like, did you have to think about it? Do I really want to go fight on a strike force card when I'm a UFC veteran? Uh, not really. With it being the last strike force show, you know, uh, not a big deal. If, if it wasn't the last strike force show, then yeah, I may look at it like that a little bit. Um, but it's a last strike force card, you know. They said I'll be right back in the octagon after that, after this fight. So, uh, you know, it pays the same. So let's do it. So you had to get the assurance that win or lose on Saturday night, you're still coming back to the UFC after this, right? Yeah. Now, My manager goes with that stuff. But I, right, so. of course. Now, uh, the UFC fights in an octagon. You've been fighting there for a long time. Strike Force fights in a hexagon. Did you have to prepare in a hexagon? Like, th does that mean anything to you? I don't even know what the hell a hexagon is. <laughs> uh, what is a hexagon? Ten uh, sides? Uh, yeah, ten sides. Okay, no, it doesn't matter to me, whatever. I don't care. As far as angles and things like that, it means nothing to you. No. no. <laughs> I was having a discussion with uh, someone. What was that? Sorry? I just, I don't know. Do it matters that much. You know, we're going to call you on your cell phone because the, the connection is a little wonky. We're going to call you on your cell phone because it keeps cutting up, okay? Okay. Okay. New York Rick, call him up on his cell phone now. Um, there he was. Ed Herman in all his glory. We could have done the, the video Skype cell phone thing, but whatever. We'll just get him on. Uh, want to talk to him. So interesting there. They tell him you're going to stick around, um, win or lose on Saturday. And also interesting that he says that he, a big part of the draw, at least for him, was that this was the last show. It gets a little more attention, as finales often do. Last time we saw him, of course, was UFC 150. I believe we have him now. Ed, are you there? Yeah, I'm here. All right, so... Uh, I, w I wanted to ask you about Jacare, who I was just talking to someone, New York Rick, on our team here before the show. He considers Jacare a top five middleweight, despite the fact that he lost to Luke Rockhold, maybe a guy who hasn't gotten the respect and the attention that he deserves because he fights in strike force. How high do you rate Jacare? Um, I figure he's in the top 10, you know, for sure. Um, most definitely. So I think it's a great opportunity for me. That was one of the reasons we took the fight, you know, is to get in there against another big name and have an opportunity to uh, get a big win. Last time we saw you fight was against a BJJ Wiz and Jake Shields, another BJJ Wiz here. Last fight didn't go your way. Is this kind of your way of trying to make amends, make uh, make that wrong or right, what happened at UFC 150? 
uh, you know, anytime you lose, you want to come in and, and make a wrong or right. So I just felt like against Shields, I was a little flat. I didn't fight. You know, my game plan, I was too worried about maybe what he was going to do. So uh, this fight, I'm going to come out and just do what got me to where I'm at, you know, and come to fight uh, my style, not let, uh, not fall into, you know, the other guy's game plan. By the way, I'm being told that a hexagon is six sides. See, I'm an idiot. Uh, as well, so just I, I don't want to screw you up there. It's six, not ten. So don't look for those four extra sides. All right. <laughs> um, why do you think you look flat in that fight against Jake? Uh, I mean, I was. I just didn't. I didn't. I don't know. I just didn't perform the way I normally can. You know, usually I'm a lot more aggressive, and I just uh, I was just flat. It wasn't my night. Um, I don't know. I don't know how else to explain it. You know, it just it just wasn't my wasn't my night. I didn't have my best performance. You were fighting, I guess, in your adopted home state of Colorado. Did the the pressure of it all get to you? Yeah, not that I know of. Not anything that I was thinking about. I mean, there's a possibility, but uh, you know, nothing that I was overwhelmingly like you know contemplating or thinking about in my head. But you know, sometimes things like that can get to you without you even realizing it. So the fight eventually was turned into a no contest after uh, Jake Shields tested positive for a banned substance. Do you even know what he tested positive for? We still haven't uh, gotten the word. Yeah, I'm pretty sure it was testosterone or something like that. Uh, he he looked pretty jacked up for that fight. Uh, you know, if it had been like marijuana, I'm sure he would have said that. So people, you know, would know that it wasn't, you know, something else. So. Um, I mean, I don't know for sure, but I'm pretty positive it was some kind of performance enhancer. Obviously, I mean, uh, he hasn't come out, so we don't want to condemn him. But did you, like when you were fighting him, and uh, you haven't fought him before, so it's hard to compare. But, like, did you notice, like, wow, this guy is a lot bigger or stronger than I expected him to be? Oh, not really. Um, you know, on the ground, he felt more more just his good positioning, you know. Along with the strength, I'm sure the extra strength helped him. If he was using a supplement, you know, a supplement to make him stronger, then, you know, then yeah, he was able to, you know, use that strength in there. Uh, but but you know, Shields is, like you said, one of the best grapplers in the game. So he just had really good positioning uh, on the ground and just shut down a lot of my uh, a lot of my movements. And again, I was flat, so I couldn't make things happen the way I normally can. Prior to that fight, you had won three in a row, three finishes. You look great. A lot of momentum behind you. Um, how long did it take for you to get over the loss and feel like, all right, you know, we'll get back on the horse here because um, a win over Shields really would have put you in the mix there at 185? Yeah, I was pretty bummed, you know. For sure, I was bummed out. That would have been a huge win for me. Um, but, you know, I was ready to go. I was back in the gym shortly after that. Um, I had a couple small injuries that kind of kept me from fighting again right away. But, uh, you know, of course, you want to get that bad taste out of your mouth. When it doesn't matter who you lose to, it's still a loss. You know, you got to get back in there as soon as you can and, and get that taste out of your mouth and try to get back on the winning side. What do you think of Jacare's striking? Uh, he throws hard, man. He's got a big right hand. Um, he's uh, a little wild and, uh, you know, sort of unorthodox with his punches. Um, I think he has a false sense of security in it. He thinks that he hits hard so that, you know, um, that that's good enough, but it's not going to be. Uh, so I'm going to, you know, exploit his mistakes that he makes on his feet and, uh, you know, showcase mine. And he's probably going to, you know, try and take me down once this happens. So defend the takedown and either get on top or beat him up on our feet. So do you think he's gotten away from his BJJ? Like, have you studied his tapes his last few fights? 
Yeah, I have studied his taste. No, I don't think he's gone away from it. He still uses it, but I think he's comfortable on his feet. And like I said, he's confident that he can knock people out. He just got a big TKO or KO his last fight. Right. You know, and, and he's got power in his hands for sure. He's he's hurt just about everybody he's fought, even as he hasn't knocked out. So, um, you know, he knows he hits harder, and I think he's going to depend on that a little bit. Um, and, uh, you know, I could take a pretty good shot, which most people have seen in my last few fights or some of my fights. So he's going to have to do more than more than just throw a big right hand at me see if he's going to try and stand. Yesterday on Twitter, you asked for a little help, a little boost, if you will, to get some uh, followers. Uh, and I, so I retweeted you. Did any come your way? I, You know, I, I dig. I got a ton of people, man. I really appreciate oh. that. Wow, you know, I'm not the I'm not the savviest with Twitter, so yeah, any any little props like that I can get were great. I got you know a couple hundred people within it within a few hours, so wow, so that was pretty sweet, man. I appreciate it. Oh yeah, my pleasure. Coming from a, coming from a you know popular guy like you. Well, you know, I try I try to give back to the people. Your your Twitter handle is uh, twitter.com/slash/edhermanufc. Um, for this one, will you change it to Ed Herman Strikeforce, or will that be too confusing? No, I'm not sure. <laughs> Are they going to let you wear UFC gloves in the cage? I don't know. I have no idea. That'd be but cool. Probably not. I yeah. Mean, I don't care. Either. I think it'd be kind of cool to wear Strike Force gloves. Yeah, it would be kind of cool. Know? It would be. It's a little so footnote. Did you did you did yeah. you like uh, did you train with them at all? Because they're they're a little bit different, no? Yeah, but I don't train with UFC gloves usually anyway. Oh. I wear like uh, I wear like a safety glove, so I don't break my hands or injure my opponents. Right. That's a. That, yeah, that, you know. Uh, so I was so, following, when hey. I was when I was looking at you on Twitter yesterday, uh, you were very excited about the Seattle Seahawks who beat the uh, the Redskins. Are you a big Seahawks fan? I am, yeah, super Seahawks fan. Uh, you know, they they haven't been too good to the fans for a while. The last time they were any good was uh, when they went to the Super Bowl, and uh, I was on the Ultimate Fighter that year, so I didn't even get to watch the Super Bowl because we were trapped in the house with no TV. Oh, I was trying to get clues from the cameraman. Uh, <laughs> So I missed that whole game in the, in the playoffs leading up to it. So uh, this is exciting for me to be able to watch them in the playoffs and, and doing well. Wow. So uh, honestly, though, you're not just some front runner. You grew up a Seahawks fan? Yeah, for sure, man. Being in the Northwest, you know, we don't have a lot of pro teams. We got, like, the Portland Trailblazers, you know, the Seattle Seahawks. That's about it, you know. So right. um, for sure. I mean, I, it's not like I was, like, a diehard going to every game. Sure, sure. You know, Seattle's a couple hours away, but for sure they've always been my team. You know, now in in Colorado, the, the Broncos are kind of like my adopted second team. So I got a team in the NFC and the AFC now, both in the playoffs. So it's pretty cool. But what was it like to not be able to? Your team finally makes it to the Super Bowl. They were bad for so long. You're on the show. They didn't let you even watch a second of it. No, man, they didn't care. I was uh. having to like bug the cameraman, and they were giving me little little signs with their hands and stuff because they were told not to talk to us and stuff on the show. So <laughs> that was kind of funny. Uh, but it sucked, yeah, man. I missed the whole playoffs and the Super Bowl. So, uh, so wait, the cameraman, they're, they're, like if you say something to them, they're not even allowed to say anything back to you? They're not supposed to talk to us, no. Wow. So when you're trying to talk to them, obviously you're on camera, how are they giving you updates on the game and not getting caught? Well, I mean, you're not when they're filming us. You know, we're just doing our thing in the house type of thing. You know, uh, and uh, we would, we would try and talk to them, and they would ignore us. Like we would be so bored, we would sit there and mess with them too, like oh. try and talk to them and get them in trouble because we were so bored. 
you know. So, but there were some of the cool guys who would kind of like give you a little sign, like, you know, three to seven or something, you know, <laughs> and try to give you a little hand sign or something without getting caught. Because a lot of those guys were cool and, you know, probably felt bad for us being, being you know, locked down like that. Do you watch the show now? I do a little bit, yeah. I, I don't watch all the episodes and stuff, but I do catch one here and there. Do you feel like some sort of sense of like, like this was where you graduated from? Like, do you feel a connection to the show when you watch it now? A little bit, yeah, for sure. Being a alumni of the show, uh, you know, you, you watch the show and and uh, tell people to watch it. You know, I'm glad that it's still going. You know, it's a little different now than it was. But, is it really? Uh, my, cool. my big beef with the show is that it hasn't really changed. It's like the exact same thing over and over again. And I think that that's one of the problems. Like, you know, you, you want to see something different. You view that, you think it's actually different? Uh, I mean, maybe different just in uh, the quality of the fighters coming in or the difference in the fighters coming in. Um, back in the day, you know, there wasn't as many guys trying to do this. Now, you know, I was doing this before it was cool. You know, you got all the, everybody wants to do it. Everybody wants to be an ultimate fighter, you know. So you got all these people in there, maybe in there for the wrong reasons, or, you know, you see people, you know, getting there and, and, and not being able to handle it, quitting and things like that. I don't know. It's just, hmm. so it's different for me in that sense. Like the, the people on the show are different. That finale when you lost to Grove and you even lost your next UFC fight was six years ago. Amazingly. Did you ever think you'd be in the UFC this long? Actually, uh, seven years know, ago, I should say almost. Right. Um, I don't know if I thought that far ahead. Um, <laughs> being a youngster, you know, back then, uh, you know, I always hoped and dreamed of it. Yeah. Um, but, uh, you know, and, and when I was on the show, I thought I was going to win the show. I thought I was going to beat Kendall Grove. And, you know, I was confident that I could come in and, and compete in the UFC. Um, but I'm, I'm pretty, you know, blessed and, and happy to have been able to be in the UFC as long as I have and make a career out of it. Uh, but I'm not going anywhere anytime soon. I plan on sticking around another three years, four years maybe. Even. I can't remember now. Whose team were you on? Were you on um, Shamrock or Ortiz? I was on Shamrock's team. Was he the worst coach ever in your like uh, of your experience as a mixed martial artist, martial artist? Absolutely. Have you, have, <laughs> why? I got totally ripped off. I got totally ripped off. Uh, you know, he's a he's a decent guy. He's just a little self-absorbed, so a lot of it was about him, and he you know not show up for practices. And you know, he brought the guys he brought on for coaches were really nice guys, but they didn't know anything about mixed martial arts. There was a boxing coach who had never trained an MMA guy. <laughs> and like a bodybuilding coach who had never worked with an MMA athlete, oh. um, and Ken trying to teach us kickboxing. So, you know, uh, it was it was pretty bad. You know, I, Ken's a nice guy. I feel bad like talking shit, but at the same time, you know, I feel like I got pretty ripped off. Out of all the great coaches who've been on all the seasons, <laughs> I got the worst of it. So, do you think if you would have had Ortiz, you would have won that fight? Oh, I can't say that, but I think I would have got a better experience out of the show and learned more because he had some great coaches, you know, uh, over on his team. So I feel like I would have learned more while I was there and maybe been a little bit more happy about being there. And also, you uh, you got to go home and train with your team before the finale and all that, right? Correct. Right. So, but but maybe Shamrock like he instilled some bad habits in you, and that's what led to the the loss and all that. Did you ever really like peg the lot? No, you didn't do that. Uh, I don't know. I'm not gonna say that. No way. When you envision this fight against Jacare, how do you see it playing out? How do you see how do you see yourself beating him? Uh, you know, there's lots of ways I could beat him. I could knock him out, you know, beat him up, grind him down, wear him out. He tends to get tired. 
uh, in the later rounds. Um, you know, take him down, beat him up, crush him with elbows, cut him up. Uh, I don't think he uh, he's going to like the taste of his own blood. So, you know, I'm going to try to break his will. Well, I got to give you credit, man. I think it's awesome that you're coming over to Strike Force. I know a lot of guys didn't want to do it. I think it's cool. I think it's going to be a fun fight to see uh, you versus Jacare on the last Strike Force card. It, it kicks off the the Showtime uh, portion of the broadcast, which it's a free weekend, so anyone can watch it. If you, even if you don't have Showtime, you can just find it on your on your TV. It's free this weekend. It's a, it's a preview weekend, if you will. Ed Herman versus Jacare Souza. In Oklahoma City this Saturday night, live on Showtime. Best of luck to you, Ed. Always good to talk to you. We'll see you in Oklahoma. Thanks, Eric. I appreciate it, man. We'll see you there. All right, and you're welcome for the followers. Don't mention it. Yeah, I appreciate <laughs> it, man. Thanks a lot. There he is, Ed Herman, cast member on the third season of The Ultimate Fighter. As he, That's pretty crazy. I'm a huge you know, sports fan and whatnot. If, uh, if I was not able to watch like the Knicks in the finals, that would suck. But I guess he was on the show and uh, it led to good things for him, getting on the finale, eventually losing to Kendall Grove. Kind of a funny story about that. Um, I was working in TV production on the third season of The Ultimate Fighter, and the company that I was working for was hired by Spike TV, Spike.com to be exact, to produce like a pre-fight show for the finale. That was the first event ufc event that i ever saw live it was at the hard rock the main event was kenny florian versus sam stout uh ed herman fought ken Lagrove. bisping fought josh haynes and it was awesome the the hosts were Stephen Bonner and Forrest Griffin. They were the co-hosts. We had this girl, Laura Diane. Laura Diane was like the, the roving reporter. I wrote the scripts for them. It was a lot of fun. My first live UFC event, that was back in uh, 2006. I apologize also for saying that the Strikeforce cage uh, was obviously it's a hexagon. I said, why did I think that was 10 sides? 10 sides is a decagon. That's what World Series of Fighting uses. Hexagon is six. Octagon is eight. Decagon is 10. What is four sides? Quattro? Square? <laughs> is it a square? That's what it's called? That's just a rumbus. Look, look at Will already making his presence felt on the show. Buzzkill Brandon would never help me out with, uh, with, a, with, a, with a, the piece of info like that. But there's no, like, there's no like sort of cool name for the four sides? No. I think that's a. I think that's a. I think that's a triangle. No, it is a. Yeah, it is a quad. A quad. There it is. A quad. Yes, the quad. Yes. Buzzkill Brendan better be. Uh, better be worried. I mean, when you get when you get pieces of info like that, when you get backup like that, that's huge. All right, so there it is. Quad, hex, octagon, decagon. Let's move along now. Uh, on Saturday night, as I mentioned, the final Strike Force event on Showtime. And for a very long time, we have been wanting to talk to this man, our next guest on the show. Finally, we can deliver him to you. He is the executive vice president of Showtime Sports. He is Steven Espinoza. Steven, are you there? Uh, I am. How are you, Ariel? Great to have you on the show. Finally, Steven, we've been trying for months and months to get you on the show. So pleased oh, that. 
I, I'm, I'm sure you had much more important people. I've been on the waiting list for a while. <laughs> Absolutely not. I have the, the documents to, to back myself up, but we're glad that you are here. We're glad yeah. to, to finally start talking about a Strike Force event again on Showtime. And obviously, it is the last one. We're trying to celebrate Strike Force here. We're not trying to be negative. But I got to ask the question because, quite frankly, you haven't been available for a long time. Why is this the last Strike Force event on Showtime? Well, we, we had the option to extend for another year. Um, we decided not to. And, and candidly, um, there's one real reason behind it, or one main reason. Um, as any fan who follows Strike Force and MMA generally knows, there have been some talent problems in the last half of the year. And there have been injury problems throughout the sport. But given where the talent pool in Strike Force is, um, we really got decimated by injuries and suspensions and you know in the overall scheme of things you know we just weren't comfortable with the trajectory of where the shows were going Um, we didn't believe toward the end of the year that we were getting shows that were premium television level shows and uh, we didn't see that situation getting any better so um, you know I wanted to live up to the high standards uh, that Strikeforce had set with Showtime before I got here and as the year went on, it was clear that that wasn't going to happen. Was a part of the reason why this relationship ended um, the fact that, for whatever reason, Showtime could not get along with Zufa? I mean, Dana White has said he doesn't want to talk about it, but it's clear something went awry. Uh, could, that, could that union, that marriage, just not coexist? Actually, I would take, let me take a little bit of issue with the, the question or the assumptions behind the question. Um, the relationship was actually fine, um, you know, as between Zufa as a company and Showtime as a company. Um, Dana's been pretty outspoken. Uh, he's outspoken on everything. We know he's passionate and he often speaks off the cuff. And, you know, so I take what he says with a little bit of a grain of salt. But outside of that, there hasn't been, you know, really any difficulties in the relationship once we got things sorted out way back in January. So, uh, you know, the fact that Dana, you know, wasn't happy at times and sort of distanced himself, that really wasn't, wasn't a factor in the decision at all. Was Zufa a good partner as far as a TV partner is concerned? Um, they were. They were a good partner. I think uh, in the, the hesitation that you hear is because, you know, we had an o- awkward structure. Um, you know, doing this, uh, having this promotion and operating the shows in the context of the larger deal that Zufa had with Fox and the limitations it put on us. And, you know, the fact that a lot of our talent was stripped out at the start of the deal, you know, really created some challenges in sustaining the organization going forward. Uh, But having said that, I think we put on some very good events this year um, with some very good fighters as evidenced by, you know, the fact that UFC can't wait to get their hands on them. Yeah, you mentioned some of the talent leaving, guys like uh, Nick Diaz and Alistair Overeem. I mean, that was obviously a very big blow to the Strikeforce brand. How did that even happen? Like, How was that allowed to happen because there were two separate entities? Why didn't Showtime step in or could you not step in and, and, and stop this from happening? Well, when, um, you know, there were two, two sort of separate deals. There was a, a deal between Zufa and Fox, and then there's a separate deal between Strikeforce and Showtime. Um, when Zufa acquired Strikeforce, he tried to sort of meld the two together. And there were adjustments that we needed. Um, there were adjustments that they needed just in the context of the deals because, 
neither of us anticipated this would happen at the time when we signed our respective deals. So in the process of sort of reconfiguring that deal, there was give and take. Um, in retrospect, you know, maybe we should have tried a little bit harder to hold on to some more talent so we weren't uh, going to be faced with sort of the challenges toward the end of the year. Um, but you know, you know what they say about hindsight. Right. Um, and obviously, we haven't seen Strikeforce on Showtime in a while because there were two events that were canceled um, in between, you know, now and, and the last event, which was in August. It was an event canceled in September, an event canceled in November. Those two cards decimated by injuries. Uh, at the end of the day, I know you said that, you know, you want to give a premium product and sort of live up to the, the standards that Strikeforce set on the network. But why pull the plug on, on those events, or was it not your call to pull the plug on those events? Uh, oh, it was, it was definitely um, not my call to pull the plug. I mean, our, we, don't, we don't run the promotion. You know, we, um, we set up cameras and, and televise an event and help market the broadcast. Uh, but, the, you know, Zufa really, once they acquired the promotion, they run the produ- production, excuse, the production of the event. They, you know, sign the fighters. They decide when there are events, when there are not events. Um, you know, the decision that I have to make for our subscribers, you know, and for our company as a whole is, you know, whether we're getting value for the money that we're paying. You know, so when we have, uh, we have cancellations and, you know, and fighter injuries um, throughout the sport, whether it's boxing or MMA. Um, and when that happens, both sides try to reach a concession that makes sense and allows the event to go forward. Sometimes that happens, sometimes it doesn't. Unfortunately, for those two shows, it didn't happen. What was the final straw, if any, for you as, as the head of Showtime Sports uh, when you decided, all right, it, it is time to go our separate ways here and, and end this relationship? I'm not sure there was a particular moment or event or conversation or anything along those lines. It was, I think, a realization late in the year, around the time of the second cancellation, that this was uh, this problem with the talent pool and the trajectory of the promotion um, going forward wasn't going away. It wasn't just a, a sort of a streak of back, bad luck for a couple months. Um, it was a trend. I mean, we can look at it from the big picture and look at the trajectory of the organization, uh, Strikeforce, um, before the acquisition by Zufa and after. Um, and I think, you know, with due respect to everything that we did after, uh, the trajectory wasn't the same. That became very clear by the end of the year. In, in around October, you announced that Strikeforce was coming back. Um, at that point, we didn't know it was going to be the last show, but that there was going to be a huge show. It was going to be called Strikeforce Champions. Everyone's going to be on the card, big names, you know, injuries happen. It's still a very strong card. We'll be there, but uh, not all the titles are being defended, etc. And there are some, including some on the Strikeforce roster, who believe fighters pulled out uh, of that card because they just didn't want to fight on the Strikeforce's uh, finale and they wanted to go to the UFC. Do you believe some guys just, you know, made up injuries so that they don't have to fight on this card? Uh, I, I, I don't believe so. I mean, I, I know... You know, not to sing out any in particular guys, but I, I know Luke Rockhold and I know Gilbert Melendez. Those guys are fighters. Um, I don't believe that those guys would, you know, put fake injuries or, you know, take advantage of a situation um, or ulterior motives. I mean, I know medically both of their, their injuries in particular were absolutely valid. So, uh, you know, it would be virtually impossible for me to believe they would have those motives. Was it... 
hurtful to the brand when you had guys come out and essentially, you know, some of them didn't want to say it, but you could tell they didn't want to be there anymore. Is that hard when you have your stars talking like that and ultimately hurting the brand when, when, when it's very clear they'd rather be fighting for someone else? Yeah, I, I think, you know, I think what that was was largely a, uh, a lot of confusion about the messaging. Um, and that's something, quite candidly, we struggled for, with from the very start. Um, there hadn't been really a situation like this before where you have one organization running, uh, you know, another organization. And, you know, I guess the only – I think I used in one of our, our prior conversations the example of um, – not that it really is apples apples, but when WWF was running, you know, TNA as well. WCW. Uh, but, yeah, so that's why I meant. Yeah, right. exactly. So under those circumstances, but that's not – you know, that's a very different type of event, obviously. That's, that's mm-hmm. more scripted than anything else. But aside from that, there's really not an analogy where you had two brands sort of coexisting within one umbrella. And for that reason, we all struggled. I mean, the executives at both companies, both Strikeforce and Zufa, struggled with the messaging. Uh, And therefore, it doesn't surprise me that, you know, the fighters weren't entirely clear on how it was going to work either. Obviously, very happy that you're on the show and you're answering a ton of our questions, bringing a lot more clarity to the situation. But why did you decide to remain quiet for so long and allow, you know, and to his credit, I mean, you could kind of tell how he was feeling, but Dana never really wanted to talk about it, despite the fact that we asked him 3,000 different ways about the, the strike force situation. Why was there only one side speaking and why was Showtime quiet in the last few months? Well, I think the primary thing is I don't like to come on and give half stories um, or tell incomplete, um, you know, versions of events. And we were sort of in the in the midst of trying to figure out what was happening going forward. And so the the conversation would have been, and maybe you know, in retrospect, it's worth having anyway. Would have been, you know, we've hit some bad luck, and we're not sure what we're doing going forward in terms of either more events or you know, extending the deal. Um, so rather than sort of, uh, you know, cloudy and already murky conversation, um, I waited until there's a little bit more clarity to, to come out and address all these things, uh, I think, at once. Now, here's the biggest and most interesting question. Is Showtime now out of the MMA game? Uh, I hope not. There's definitely a lot of enthusiasm and uh, a big appetite for MMA here. Um, both me personally and the company as a whole, uh, this company, um, this network has uh, been a pioneer in the sport in many ways. It's been a, a huge supporter of the sport and done some of the most watched events in recent history. So there is definitely more appetite. Um, whether there is the right opportunity is still a, a, a sort of process of determining that's still going on as we speak. Um, I don't know uh, what the future is going to hold, whether we're going to find the right opportunity or opportunities uh, in combat sports, uh, but we definitely would love to continue uh, in MMA. Have you talked to any other organizations? Uh, we've, we've had a, n- a number of conversations with a range of different organizations. Um, you know, nothing that's really definitive or you know, close to being fruitful at this point, but we've been, you know, doing our exploratory conversations and doing our diligence um, ever since it was sort of decided late last year that we wouldn't be going forward. Who have you talked to? Uh, I knew that was the next <laughs> question. 
Um, and I don't blame you for asking, but uh, that one I'm going to take a pass on. Fair enough. Uh, you've been very kind. Got to try, right? Uh, absolutely. And just a couple of minutes here left with sure. uh, Stephen Espinoza, the executive vice president of Showtime Sports. Is it possible, Stephen, that 2013 comes and goes, and there will only have been one MMA event on the network, and that's the one coming up on Saturday? Is there a chance that you guys just, you know, don't air MMA events this year anymore? Um, there's a there's a chance. Um, I mean, there's a chance that, you know, uh, something happens uh, to change circumstances and we're back in business with Zufa. Um, I, it wouldn't entirely surprise me, you know, either way. Not that there's anything on the table now. I think the point of it is, is you know, this, this sport um, and sports in general sort of take crazy turns that are somewhat unpredictable. Um, if we had, we could sort of, look back and go back in time 18 months ago, no one really would have predicted that, you know, we'd be operating uh, Strike Force under Zufa and the UFC brand, you know, simultaneously. Um, so I don't want to be, you know, I don't want to be too determinative of what's going to happen going forward. Um, but, you know, it's a, it's a challenging marketplace. It's a critical time in the development of the sport. There's been a, an epidemic of injuries um, in a number of organizations, not just Strike Force, you know, UFC has seen it as well. So finding the right opportunity or the right set of opportunities um, will be a, you know, well thought out process. It, it may take, you know, months and may take 12 months. You just slightly blew my mind there for a second. You, just throwing out the possibility that Showtime would be in business with the UFC. Was that just you throwing out an example or are there even talks of this? No, there, there, to be clear, there aren't talks, but um, the reason I throw it out is because the relationship, um, you know, isn't, you know, isn't nearly as bad or even bad at all as, as some may, you know, suspect from the outside. Mm -hmm. The relationship between the two companies is good. Again, my relationship with Dana is good. We have our differences, opinions. He's very outspoken on some things, but that doesn't mean we don't have, you know, a good relationship. Um, you know, he can pick up the phone, or I can pick up the phone, and we can talk, and our companies are, are going to have um, a great working relationship through this weekend. It'll be very collegial. And if someone uh, asked me, would I get in business with them before, I'd say absolutely, sure. So you mentioned that uh, one of the reasons why you didn't want to put on that event in September and then in November November was because it just didn't feel like a, you know, a premium product, one that you're used to putting on. You look out there... And it's tough. I mean, with Bellator, you know, doing their thing with Spike, there are some upstarts, but no one has the roster that even the depleted Strike Force had. Names like Melendez and, and, and Rockhold and Marquardt and Ronda Rousey and Cormier for a little bit. So when you look around in MMA, does anything even entice you? Like, can you even envision yourself working with any of these other organizations? That's a very astute observation. That's, that's exactly the, the, primary, um, the primary challenge going forward is – you know, you look at the landscape, and there's, there's sort of a, a dominant player. Um, you probably put Bellator as the next most visible. And then there's a lot of guys sort of at the next tier that, that really don't distinguish themselves that, that well from each other. Um, that says one of two things. Either, you know, you wait for something to coalesce into, you know, another, uh, another sort of wor worthy partner, or you do something where you are, uh, are sort of bringing all the all the small entities together in some sort of umbrella organization and and sort of grouping together 
um, all the talent pools. But the, the question of the available talent pool um, will be at the forefront of our mind going forward, given our recent experience. Yeah, one thing I always thought Showtime could do was, much like in boxing, you know, let's say Promoter X is putting on a, a good fight, sign him up for that one fight, and, and, and here we are. Then next week it's Promoter Y out of, you know, Denver, sign him up, and we'll put, you know, could it work that way, or do you think MMA is structured differently? Um, I think it could work that way. It hasn't in the past, but, um, you know, it doesn't mean it couldn't in the future. Uh, I think, you know, you may open the door to the types of, inefficiencies and challenges that, that boxing has, uh, has encountered, um, but I don't think that's insurmountable. Um, boxing has certainly um, continued to operate and actually flourished, I think, in the last couple of years um, despite those challenges. So that, uh, that wouldn't be uh, a bad way to go. It would require a lot of uh, investment in time and effort um, and a lot of personnel. So if you're looking for a job, um, you, know, you can call me after you're off air. <laughs> and, and, and I'm just curious, you know, I know you're new to, to Showtime or relatively new, but is there any bad taste in some of the, the, the employees that have been there for longer? Now this is the second promotion to go under that was under the, the Showtime umbrella. Are there some people who are like, you know what, MMA just isn't healthy enough, it's not sustainable, whatever. Are there people who are saying enough is enough with MMA and Showtime? No, I mean, uh, honestly, um, there, there's some disappointment because we're, we're sorry not to be uh, in MMA, in the at least for the foreseeable future, but you know there's a lot of pride in what we uh, we have built. And I say we as a company because a lot of it obviously happened before I got here. But when you look at you know the names that, that you have listed, you know I mean guys like you know guys and women like Ronda Rousey or like you know Gilbert or Luke or Daniel or a lot of these guys who are literally homegrown from challengers through to the Strike Force shows. Um, you know, there are a lot of people here who are going to watch Gilbert um, in UFC, ultimately, we expect, or Ronda or Overeem or Verdum, and take a lot of pride in playing such a huge role in the development and actually the introduction of those stars. Is it true that before Ronda signed with the UFC that Showtime tried to sign her for a new organization? Absolutely not. Not true. All right. That's what I heard, that the, the, at least from one source, but you're clearing that up. That did not happen. Absolutely not. Okay, and uh, speaking of women's MMA, uh, we were talking about this with Dave Meltzer. Um, Invicta is one that has some buzz behind it, and it's very different than the UFC, so maybe there's there's a niche there. What do you think of an all-women's promotion? Maybe uh, I don't want to say that we're talking about Invicta here, but do you think there's an appetite for that on a network like a Showtime? Um, I think there could be. I mean, obviously, we've been a pioneer um, in women's MMA and have built you know two of the biggest names. Forget men or women, but two of the biggest names in, in MMA recently. Um, so there's plenty of enthusiasm for that. Um, uh, you know, looking at Invicta in particular, I like what they've, what they've done. They've generated a lot of visibility, uh, a lot of noise. They had some outstanding fights um, a couple nights ago. Um, so I think the, the health of women's MMA um, is, is very good. And despite what you know, others have said, I have no concerns about the depth. The depth is there. There's no question. Have you talked to Invicta? <laughs> I, I expected that question. <laughs> I don't know, but I'm, I'm not going to answer that one either. Will you be in Oklahoma City? I will. Oh, great. Absolutely. 
Well, I will, uh, I will be there as well. I hope to say hello to you. Really thank you for coming on and, and clearing up the air here. And I want to remind you that Strike Force is uh, a part of the sports block and Showtime's free preview weekend, making it available to four times the amount of viewers than normal. Uh, you've got uh, Showbox on Friday. Saturday is uh, Strike Force first on Strike Force Extreme at 8 p.m. Eastern. Then at 10 p.m. Eastern, you've got the main card on the main Showtime channel. It is free to everyone, so enjoy it. Stephen, thank you so much. Always a pleasure. And I think I speak for everyone. We hope that Showtime sticks around in our little world called MMA. Looking forward to seeing what you guys do next. Uh, appreciate the support, Ariel. All right, there he is, the executive vice president of Showtime Sports, Mr. Steven Espinoza, answering a lot of questions about the future of mixed martial arts on Showtime. Now, one of the true legends of the sport of mixed martial arts is joining us right now. He is on hold. Can't wait to get to him. He faces Michael Bisping, UFC on FX7, Sao Paulo, Brazil, next Saturday night. That is uh, January 19th, live and free on FX. He is the phenom, the old lion, the the new lion, the young dinosaur. I don't know what he is. He is Vitor Belfort. Vitor, how are you? I'm good, man. I am the Benaya. You can call me Benaya. Benaya. Benaya, yeah. What does that mean? Oh, man, you got to read his story and you know it. <laughs> cannot, it's, it's too long, but bottom line, he went in the pit on a snowy day and he slayed a lion in a pit on a snowy day. So, And then he got a Philistus, a Philistus, very tall with a long spear. So he was a warrior. So he defeated many giants, so he was a warrior. Benaya was a man of war, a mighty man of King David. So it's a pretty amazing story. And and when I met that guy, I was I was in in, in love and and very attached to history in my life because our wars, you know, the many battles that we face is not inside the octagon. Inside the octagon is a it's a great celebration day and a competition. But every human mankind has to face battles, and many battles is, is, is just faces in, in our privacy, you know, in our minds, in struggles that we just got to stand firm and, and fight, you know, and not don't lose the faith. So that's about it. Man, I, I, I don't even know what to say at this point. I feel like I should just say goodbye. How can I follow that up with any kind of question? Dropping knowledge right off off the bat here on the show. That's why we love you so much, Vitor. Thank you, man. I really appreciate them as well. As well, you know, I really admire your work for what you're doing. And, you know, just the way you, you, you bring the... You just, just hear you interviewing the vice president of Showtime. And you just bring in knowledge to the sport as well. It's very important that, you know, we, we just send the message to the fans. And you guys really help the sport to grow because you guys are a very important piece on this puzzle, as just as the fighters and the promoters. So we're fighting for the same for the same motives, you know. We're here to – that's our – that's our milk and bread, and, and we need to fight for that with all, all we have. Well, now I'm blushing, now I'm sweating, now you've got me all flushed, but I appreciate the words very much. Coming from a legend like you, it means the world to me, so thank you very much, uh, Vitor. I want to ask you about this fight in Sao Paulo against uh, Michael Bisping, a very important fight for both of you. Um, are you still there? Yeah, I'm okay. here. What, what do you make of this matchup? Do you like this matchup against Michael? 
Yeah, man, he's a great, great fighter, a great warrior. You know, Marco is, he face, he doesn't pick fights. He face whatever they put in front of him. I have a lot of respect for him and looking forward to face one of the best guys on this weight division. And, and I'm, I'm very happy. I'm very blessed to still fighting on the level of, of, of these this fighters that, that I'm not talking about age. I'm just talking about the season, the people on the sport, you know, I've been on the sport for 17 years and still fighting on the, on the, on the, on this level of competition and keep it up. And I'm so motivated. I just, today, it's the first time in history that I weighed 195 after my practice. I just finished my sparring. And so even in this weight, this week, I'm cutting weight, cutting the calories. So feeling young, man. You know, hearing from Rashad Evans saying, man, Victor, you look like 18 years old again, you know. So I'm very motivated and I'm very blessed to still have passion to work, passion to fight, and passion to perform and, and do it with and everything that I do, I do as I'm doing for God, you know, so I'm doing my best. That's, that's what I can promise to you, doing my best every day. You know, we had uh, Michael on the show recently. I asked him about this fight, and he had a very interesting thing to say, among many interesting things. And I want to play you this clip. It's like eight seconds long. This is what he had to say about what he had to look out for when he fought you on January 19th. Here's the clip. I think the main thing I've got to watch out for is punches to the back of the head. You know, I've got to oh. watch out for those rabbit punches because he does like to punch people in the back of the head. So other than that, um, you know. So there you have he says the main thing he has to look out for is punches to the back of the head. What, 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 what do you make of that? that? That's illegal. Is he calling you a dirty fighter? I don't even hear, man, what he says. His English is so difficult to understand. <laughs> well, well, he's... Just don't, don't turn your head. Just don't turn your head. Keep your head straight. <laughs> do you look out for that? So, is that something that you try to do? i just trying to knock people out. You know, if you're trying that, you know, this... This is dirty, you know, that's duty, it's to knock people out. That's my job. So, you know, well, people say whatever they want to say. And, like, if you want to give excuse, God will provide one for you. So maybe he already provided his excuse already. So I don't, I don't know. I cannot, I cannot judge anybody. I only can judge myself. And, I, and I'm a very honest fighter. When I step into the cage... That place is a holy place for me, and and I respect my opponent. I'm very glad that he's there to perform with me. So I'll promise I will be there with with full commitment. So I'm preparing myself. So I'm not here to talk anything, to say anything. The only thing I can say to you, I'll, I'll be there with all my heart, with all my soul, with all my spirit. Do you think Michael Bisping has a weak chin? Uh, man, you know, I don't think anything. I just thinking about. I just thinking about myself. I don't know. You know, he's for me. He's a great fighter, a great warrior, and we. I'm gonna go. Just be there. You know, just do what I know and do what I'm capable to do. And that's the beauty of the sport. You know, anything can happen in that cage. So I'm making sure that. You know, in January 19, 
I ruled that cage. UFC President Dana White said that if he wins, he's going to get a title shot, but they didn't really say the same for you. Does that bother you? I don't care. doesn't change anything in my life, my friend. God is the, my provider, and, and I have a fight, and I'm winning. That's the only thing I know. I'm winning. So I already told Dana, you know, choose another guy for, for Faith Anderson because he's not going to pass through me. So, so that's the, the bottom line, you know. I'm glad that Dana is not God. You know, he's a great, great president of the sport, a great promoter, but that cage, I will have the dominion and, and I will have the chance. And, and, and that's what the beauty of the sport about it. But, you know, that's his, that's his, that's his toy, you know. The UFC belongs to him, and I respect that. And, I, and, I, and I, I'm very honorable to him and to Lorenzo, to the organization. When they need me, I'm there. When they when they need me to fill a spot, I'm there. They know what type of fight I am, and so I work hard for the organization. But bottom line, he's the one that makes the decision who fights who, you know, what fight. Do we lose Vitor? I had a great follow-up. Is he gone? It appears as though he's gone. Looks like he's going to call him back. Dang it. Great stuff from Vitor Belfort. I mean, I could just listen to him speak all day long. Comes out talking to us about King David, this guy who beat up everyone. It's just amazing. True legend of the sport. Of course, the last time we saw Vitor in action was UFC 152 when he almost pulled off the armbar of armbars against John Jones and actually wanted to speak to him about that because we haven't heard from him since. Um, and that was back in September. You recall one of the, it, it felt like, as Meltzer was talking about earlier, when Verdum had the, the, the triangle, it felt like time stood still there for a second in Toronto, and I believe we have him back now. Vitor, are you there? Vitor? Yeah, I'm here. Okay, sorry, we lost you. Just a couple of minutes left. I want to ask you a question. Um, I noticed you have a bit of a new haircut, uh, like a mohawk. Any, any specific reason why you changed the hairstyle? I feel like I'm in a, in a, in, a, in this mood of a, I wish I could have painted my face as a warrior. You know, I would have do that myself. <laughs> I'm just in a mood of, of that, that zone, you know, of that, of that zone to get ready for, for war. That's just something that come up, you know, just things that rise up and you just do it. And that's it. That's about it. It's just getting like the, I call the priest, I have the priesthood outfit. You know, I'm serving, I'm, 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 you know, I'm always helping people. But also I have the king, kingdom of garden, you know, the king. You know, and, the, and, the, and if you study the kings in the past, the kings, they used, they, they used to go to war, you know, staying on the front of the battle. So like William Wallace, you have all these guys that they, they 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 used to be leaders. So you got the Jesus, you know, who who lead people. They don't tell people to go. Today a leader just tell them, hey, you do this, you do that. I don't believe this is a real leadership. So, and and then just something that rises up inside of me, and I just I feel led to do something that just get me on my on my mood, you know. 
just part of nothing special. Well, I love it. Just, yeah. I think just it's great. That, that, that mood, yeah. And the last time, as I mentioned, when we were trying to get you back on the phone, last time we saw you, of course, was in September, one of the great moments of the year. You almost submitted John Jones with an arm bar. It was unbelievable. You fought valiantly. How often have you thought of that moment? What you needed to do, just something a little differently? You could be the UFC light heavyweight champion. Is that something that you have thought about, stayed up at night, dissected? Do you still think about that moment? Oh, I digest already, man. You know, the worst thing for a man, you know, to stay on the path. You know, the, the path is something that you have to learn. Your mistakes has to increase. You know, your failures, you have to use you have to boost as a gas to your future. So the worst thing for a man is just to have doesn't, you know, regret has to make you go into the next level, not to stay on the same level. So I recognize that that was a day that was a beautiful moment. But, you know, that's what it is. You know, people say, Victor, you didn't lose. You almost won. Just the, the whole attitude, you know. Uh, the, the whole thing, the whole history, you know, I was, you know, I was in the cast. I was with a broken hand. I had a pin on my arm, and then I took the pin out. Then the doctor released me to start training and hitting the pads. And right after, I, I saw these things, and, and I just positioned myself to fight. You know, I think, I think it's a great challenge. And I didn't have a lot of time to train, but, you know, I took it. It's a challenge, you know what I mean? And I almost won. So bottom line, you know, if you take the whole thing, you're trying to digest the whole history. So it was good, you know, it was, was overall it was good. And it just live it. You have to just recognize your mistakes, go back home, you know, work it, and, and, and see what, it, what, what you make the mistakes and what you can adjust. You know, and, and we have to realize, too, you know, like John Jones stood it. And, and he took a uh, – he, he really had a messed up arm, and he's still maybe surfing with that, that, that thing. But he won, you know. We have to recognize he, he won and he did good. And, and, and then and that's what we do. You know, we just keep pressing in, and, and we're looking for new challenges. And my new challenge is Michael Bispin. And I'm about to accomplish that mountain, you know, climbing that mountain. And, and, and that's where we go next. You know, the next step is my vacation with my family. Two more questions for Vitor, questions. and then we'll let you go. I got to ask you this question. A commercial came out from the Combate channel, the combat channel in Brazil, and it's one of the best commercials <laughs> I've ever seen. I want to play it for the people first if they miss it, and then I have to ask you about it, what it all means. Here's the, here's the commercial here. Vitor Belfort singing while playing the guitar. It's unbelievable. Here it is. É que quando eu cheguei por aqui, eu nada entendi Da dura poesia concreta de tuas esquinas Da desalegança discreta de tuas UFC São Paulo é no combate What was that? I mean, it was beautiful. I, I felt like melting in your hand. But what exactly were you saying there? It's just a famous, famous... Caetano is one of the famous singers from Brazil, a great musician. His music about Sao Paulo, so... They just 
trap me say, hey man, trying to sing that song. I was such in a hurry and you know, like I was, and then was that's what it is, you know. It's beautiful. I think, I think the only the, the only time I sing good is when I'm worshiping for Jesus because Jesus doesn't look to your voice; he looks to your heart. So I think when I'm worshiping, I sound better because it comes from the heart. So when you don't know a song and you're trying to be a musician, that's not my gift. I understand that and I and I recognize it. So that's the beauty. So when I'm worshiping, I think I'll do better. Well, I loved it. You don't have to give me any excuse. I thought it was great. I loved seeing that side of you. <laughs> Last question, Vitor. January 19th, Sao Paulo, Brazil. Will you knock out Michael Bisping? Oh, man, looking forward. <laughs> All right. Looking forward for that, buddy. I'm looking forward. And, and Ari, I got to say again, thank you very much for your kindness, your generosity to the sport, your classic. And let's, let's press it in, man. We need to make MMA one of the mainstream sport in the whole world. Amen. So, on you, on you, and January 19, big victory. Thank you very much. Thank you for your support, for the fans, for UFC, and I'm working very hard. I'm in the best shape of my life. I never made weight so well in my life, and I want to thank Mike Doce, all my trainers and Black Zillions. I want to thank my wife, my kids, my trainers, Gilbert, Henry Hoof, Maurice Perry, you know, the whole Black Zealand team, and Glenn Robson, I think a lot of people, Pedro, all my spiritual leaders, everyone that prayed for me, and I'm very, very pumped for this fight, so looking forward to it, but let's win today, because today makes tomorrow happen. There he is, a true legend, a true, a true class act in our sport, one of a kind, Vitor Belfort, thank you so much, Vitor, good luck on January 19th. Thank you. God bless you, my friend. Bye-bye. The Phenom stops by, drops knowledge like no other. Uh, he is truly, truly often imitated, like in the studio, but never duplicated. He is Vitor Belfort. Unbelievable stuff from Vitor there. Uh, that is one of the best main events on free television. I mean, Michael Bisping versus Vitor Belfort. I had a discussion with someone about this. As far as Michael is concerned, it's a tricky fight. It's a dangerous fight. Someone who, who can strike like Vitor Belfort, his quickness, even at his age, his boxing. For Michael, you could make the Anderson Silva fight right now. I mean, no one would complain about that. He's been in the sport long enough. He's done enough. It's, it's a dangerous fight with that title shot looming. Um, for Vitor, he's got nothing to lose. I mean, he fought Anderson, he fought John Jones, got nothing to lose in his home country of Brazil. Uh, a very dangerous fight, and it goes down January 19th, the first UFC show of 2013, next Saturday night. Um, all right, let's go and move along to our next guest, and uh, arguably the most anticipated guest of the day. If you've been following him on Twitter, uh, he has been dropping clues uh, all week long, he said yesterday, the gloves are off. He wants to speak. He has found his forum, and we welcome him right here, right now, with open arms. He is the former Bellator lightweight champion, the hottest free agent in MMA today. Eddie Alvarez joins us via the Magic of Skype, and he is just chilling, leaning back, all relaxed. Eddie, how are you, my friend? Uh, good, man. Uh, back at home in Philadelphia, and... Uh... Awaiting to hear some good news. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's a oh, there's a little guy there. <laughs> <laughs> so, 
No, no, it's Go not ahead. an Eddie Alvarez interview at home unless your kids show up in some uh, form. I, I told you I'd come in studio. You said, no, let's do it at home. <laughs> my, this is my kid's home, not mine. I love the haircut. <laughs> That's a sweet haircut right there. Uh, thanks, man. Very chuckle right, right. <laughs> Well, it's good. What's his name? Sorry, Ariel. No problem. What's his name? That's Alistair. Oh, get it. Really? Like Alistair over him? Yeah, Alistair's my youngest. Yeah, yeah. That is. Uh, did you name him after Alistair over him? Uh, look, look. People got. I, I like Alistair over him. He's a teammate of mine in Florida. I'm not some kind of closet crazy <laughs> fan. I like his name, and that's as far as it went. Um, I like his name, it's and uh, it's not spelled the same. But okay. I, I like his name, so. <laughs> Wasn't, it wasn't anything more than that, trust me. All right, well, that is good to know, and Alistair is wreaking havoc right now. Uh, lots to talk to you about, Eddie. Uh, as I mentioned, on your Twitter, E. Alvarez Fight, um, you have been dropping clues of, of all kinds, and yesterday you said the gloves are off. Um, you want to speak your mind. What is going on? You are a free agent. Uh, word came out last week that Bellator matched the offer that the UFC presented to you. Where are you going to fight next? What's going on with this whole situation? Um, so everyone, everyone's heard that, um, Bellator is matched or, or whatnot. And, um, it's, it's such a, it's a difficult situation. We, we went to settlement, uh, maybe a couple of days ago, we had a settlement settlement meeting to where we were supposed to settle our differences and everything was supposed to get worked out. Um, long story short, um, I was, I was sued 30 minutes after that, after our settlement, uh, uh, agreement was over so um there's some there's some tension in the air and i'm um, trying to try not to get too frustrated in in the meantime of what's going on okay so you said a lot there did they in fact match the offer that the ufc offered you um <laughs> no we don't believe it, it was matched at all um and i i the, i want to be able to give details to you guys but I'm, I'm not allowed because we're in the middle of a, a pending lawsuit, I guess. Okay. So um, what yeah. I can say is what I can say is what I said on Twitter the other day. If um, if Ariel, if if I wanted to go to dinner with with one guy, he asked me to dinner and another guy asked me to dinner. And the intentions of the of, of guy number one is to take me to a fine dining restaurant and to eat lobster. And the intention of the second guy is to maybe take me to McDonald's. Um, guy number two just believes that dinner's dinner, and um, dinner isn't dinner. Uh, there's a huge difference when you're talking about McDonald's or um, or some fine dining. And um, the two we don't believe are comparable. And um, I think I, I've gotten some slack from fans saying that I signed a contract and that my my management should have read read the contract correctly. I did. The, when I signed with Bellator four years ago, I've read everything um, correctly, and I'm a man of my word, and um, I'm willing to fulfill every obligation when I sign a contract, and I did that. I've done, I've done that. I held up my end of the bargain. I've fought every fight they asked me to fight, and um, the the truth is that um, the matching is it, it is it's not it's just not a match. Uh, a match in, in in my in my uh, in, in, in my book, it matches if I was a fight for one promotion and got paid uh, $10, 
then a match would be the other promotion would pay me ten dollars and um you know that's not what's going on here and um they're 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 saying they match they're going to media and saying that they match the offer but uh in our opinion this is this is not a match it's not even not even close so the terms aren't the same terms are not the same no not even not even uh no the terms are not the same and i i don't know i don't know what the strategy is here because uh it's it, it, to us it's pretty plain and simple you know our, our opinion is that this is plain and simple if this goes before anybody in in court they're going to see very very fast that um this is not a match and um i i don't know i don't know man and i'm i'm disappointed the truth is i'm disappointed i um you know i i i gave uh gave my a lot of my life to this uh to bellator and to this promotion and um i've let them know how i feel and i, I don't get much back in return you know so right now why are they suing you I don't know. <laughs> I, I don't know. I, I'm not. I'm not 100 sure what the lawsuit's for. Say hi, Ant. Hi. Hey, buddy. How are you? Can you go upstairs, buddy, for right now? Let me do this interview and then I'll come up. Okay. Yeah, okay. All right. <laughs> um, so, uh, I, I'm not sure. I'm not sure what it's for. I'll find out. I'll find out very soon. But uh, not sure what I'm being sued for. And. Um, the, the truth is, the past year or so, I've been threatened with lawsuits a couple times. This ain't the first time. By you who? Know, I, um, Bellator. You know, this is, isn't the first time. Um, I, I apologize to everyone who's listening. I haven't been completely honest. Um, I've been smiling, and I've been uh, flying the flag and doing everything that I, that I felt I was obligated to do as a fighter um and for my employer and the promotion but you know i'm under certain obligations and i can't say certain things but you know i after the aoki fight um after the aoki fight i'm sure anybody who's a fan of mine seen this mini documentary correct uh, yeah the the mini do documentary that overeem uh yeah yeah elder yeah elder, elder yeah. did on me elders Elder's a cool-ass dude, man, and uh, he followed me for three days, and um, they gave him so much shit when, when uh, he was filming me in my locker room. He was he reprimanded like a child, you know? Hey, you can't film. I said, what do you mean he's just filming me? No, he wasn't allowed to film, and then when, then when he let the film out to the public to see, we were threatened with a lawsuit. You can't do that. We said, what are you talking about? This... This is helping promote me. This is helping promote Bellator. What what is a lawsuit for? What what's going on? Get that off. Get that off. Get that off of the air. We don't want that on there. We I I I didn't understand this. And I I, I felt like it was because I wasn't re-signing. You know? All I want to do is see what my um I wanna see what what I I what's out there for me, you know? At the end of this contract, I wanted to see where my stock was, how much I'd be worth in the four years of all the work I've done. Um, what would I be worth? And I felt like since my curiosity hurt me, you know, like they didn't want me to see what I'd be worth at the end of this. So I go back to the question that I asked you after the Oki fight. Uh, actually, after the Pitbull fight, you ran out of the cage. 
Now, can you tell us the honest answer? Was that symbolic? Did you want to get the heck out of there? <laughs> I told, I told, I said at the press conference afterwards that um, I was looking for the exit. <laughs> but um, you know, it a lot of it just you know, this past year has been tough, man. It's been different. It's been different than the three years before. Put it that way. Mm-hmm. And um, I've been trying to keep my smile on my face and and fly the flag the way I should and fulfill my obligations the way I should. But um, the truth is it hasn't, I haven't been very happy and I haven't been as honest as I wanted to, to fans. And, um, you know, just like anybody who's at their job, they don't, they don't want to discuss their, you know, their, their problems with, you know, when, when their boss is paying them and things like that. But, you know, it's just not, I don't feel like it's been fair. You were a, a Bellator pioneer and, and Bjorn always talked very highly of you. And even, you know, throughout this process thus far, I mean, he always says, you know, we'd support Eddie, all this stuff. Why don't you just speak to him? You know, I, I, can you not do that? Just be like, you know, let me go figure this out for myself. Let me go if, you know, I like this deal. Like, you can't speak to a man-to-man after everything you've been through. And he seems like a pretty, you know, reasonable guy. I mean, that's what he says to us about Hector. That's what he said to us about you. You can't figure it out that way? There's there's two two completely different sides to this man, you know? And um, the, over the past years, I spoke to him just like that, and I still do. We still had some conversations, and, um, you know, I there's two different sides, you know? And I thought, you know, where where I grew up and where I'm from, when someone smiles at you and tells you something, you believe it. You know, because if if someone lies to you, if someone's a man of their word, then, you know, that's death. You know, where I'm from, you know, it's very simple that that's the reality of where where I grew up and where I'm from. But like this is sort of a different ballgame, man. I'll get I get eaten alive in this realm because what people say means nothing, means nothing, Mm. you know, and um, it. Being loyal and, and, and them sort of things, you know, that kind of goes out the window. <laughs> See you later, Alistair. Um, They're going to pick Eddie up down the street. I'm wondering if you got the exact same deal from Bellator, truly the same deal, right, as you were getting from the UFC, which would you choose? Where do you want to fight? Um. No, it, if it was a match, I, I would I would be more than happy to honor the contract. I signed that contract, so um, I'm obligated to fulfill. Um, I have to fulfill my obligations. It's what I signed. I'm a man. I understand that, and I have no problem. I'll go about it. No problem. If it was a match, if it was a hundred percent match, I would have no problem going to fight for Bellator. Zero problem. That is not my issue. That's not my issue. Do I want to fight the best in the world? Yeah. I'm just like any other fighter out there. W- would I love to fight the, the Ben Hendersons? Yeah, tomorrow. The Gilbert Melendez? Yeah, I'll fight any one of them. I, I've never, I, I've always wanted to fight the best guys. That's not the issue, you know? The issue, the issue has to do with being fair. And if, at the, if the contract says at the end we get a chance to match, um, at the end we get a chance to match this contract, I said okay to that four years ago, and 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 I'm accountable for that. And it in our in our in our eyes, this is not a match, you know. 
This is this is the difference of a lot of money, a lot of money, and it's hard for me to sign sign on a dotted line. This is the difference of a lot of money. So is it like the show and win money is the same, but they're promising things like maybe pay-per-view points and all that? Because how can someone look at something on paper and be like, yeah, this is a match, and you say it's not a match? We're talking figures here. So where's the discrepancy? Um, I, I'm not allowed to. Gotcha. I'm okay. not allowed to speak. I'm not allowed to speak on the actual terms of the contract. Okay. On, um, each, okay. each and and get too detailed. Um. I can say that um, I'm a fighter, guys. You, you can believe a promoter or you can believe a fighter. <laughs> I'm, I'm, um, I, I've never been I'm nothing but more than honest with everyone I've come across. I'm the most honest person you guys know. This is not a match. And, you know, in our eyes, my management eyes, and, and anybody who um, can see properly, this, this is not, you know, a match to me is one guy, one guy offers a certain... And I would do the same way financially with one company than I would with the other. And this is not this is not the way it would go. So how's the UFC handling this situation? Are they helping you out? Like, what can they do in this situation? They they can't do anything. I mean, the truth is, the UFC is a business just like uh, Bellator, and they can they can offer me the contract, and um, and that's it. They can offer their contract and say, this is what we're willing to pay. For you to fight an organization, it's sent to Bellator, and then Bellator, you know, says they have the chance to match, and they say they do. Um, and uh, it's up to the court now, man. I mean, I'm being sued, and uh, it's going to go before a judge. And uh, I think it, it'll be—I think it should be very clear what what's going on. And um, the, U the UFC has nothing to say in, in this. You know, they—they're a business. They offered me. They offer me what they offer me, and uh, we feel like the UFC's deal is, is much greater. Do you like that deal? I like that deal. Yeah, mm -hmm. I do. I do. It, I, it wasn't it wasn't a Hector Lombard deal. You know, everybody thought it'd be something. It wasn't a Hector Lombard deal, but it was a good deal. And given the opportunity that you have, I, I consider it a good deal. And I consider it a, a, a much better deal than, than the one that's, you know, that Bellator is offering. And so what kind of timeline are we looking at here? I mean, is this thing going to put you on the sidelines for a year? Do you know when the, the court date is? Lay it out for us if you can. I, I don't know. That's what frustrates me, man. I have, I have a family. I have, I have kids. I have tuition to pay, bills to pay. And um, I just want to fight. I just want to be able to fight. And the past couple of years been every six months they have me fight, you know? By the time I go to fight again, I'm running on running on E. So um, I uh, I just want to get back in the cage as soon as possible. And this is where you know I I tweet, I text, and I Twitter, and I'm I'm so frustrated that there's nothing I can do about this situation. So I try to keep my keep my eye on just training, you know, because that's the only thing I can uh, I can control with my training and just getting better. But I would like to know when I'm going to fight again. I would like to know where my future lies. And um, and I don't. I don't. It's frustrating. It's disappointing. I get angry. So I, I, don't, I don't know what's next. I'm not a, a lawyer or anything, but can you counter sue Bellator? If they're suing you for something you don't really understand, like how does that work? Uh, I, uh, <laughs> I guess you're not a lawyer either, no. right? 
Hey, no, no, I'm not too beat on law, but I mean, you know, I am losing, losing valuable time, you know, every day, every day that I don't have a fight booked or I don't have a fight scheduled, I'm losing, losing time, losing money, losing, you know, a huge part of my career. And I'm coming up to my prime. I'm, I'll be 29 on January 11th. And, uh, I feel like I'm ready to compete. I'm ready to compete with the best guys out there. And, um, I'm ready, but uh, I don't know if I can. And usually, and by the way, happy early birthday. Usually you're very upbeat. You know, you're always kind of a positive guy. I get the sense, correct me if I'm wrong, you didn't want it to come to this, right? I have a feeling that you didn't want to sort of air this out for everyone, but you almost feel like you have no choice at this point? I, no, not at all. Um, look, I, I'm grateful for what has what I'm grateful for my life and what Bell Tour, you know, employed me in the last couple of years. I'm very grateful and I'm very blessed to be where I'm at. Um, I'm, I'm not asking anybody to uh, lose any sleep or cry or feel sorry for me. Um, I just, uh, I want to move on. And uh, that's, that's my biggest frustration is that I, I can't move on. I, um, I'm stuck in this I told, I told, I told my friend, this is the worst fight I've ever been in, you know, and I, I haven't thrown a punch. This has been the most, the most violent, most, uh, most, uh, tactical, most, uh, heartless <laughs> battle that I've ever, that I've ever been in. And I, and I don't even have gloves or a mouthpiece in. This is awful. I, you know, I don't. Are you involved? Fight. Are you involved in the process? Like, do you ever say to them, "This offer does not match this offer. You can't give me what this offer is giving me." And what do they say to that if you do? I don't get an explanation. Hmm. I get, you know what I get? I get. We feel it matches, <laughs> and and what else do I get? We feel it matches. Um, the 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 opposing contract wasn't written tight enough. We feel that there's some wiggle room. Uh, and at this point, let's say there is wiggle At this point, can you even go back? I mean, you talk about two sides to Bjorn. And you talk about how frustrated. Do you even want to go back at this point? I'm, I'm willing. Believe me, I'm willing to take the offer. And we try to set that straight. And we try to make it fair in a settlement meeting. We try to make it completely fair. We offered a number that we felt was fair. It was actually less than what our projected number we were to get at the UFC. It was less than what our projections were at the UFC. And um, and it was, I mean, it wasn't even an afterthought. The phone was hung up within one minute. It wow. said, no way. No way. They said, no, no way, not a chance. And I think within, I think within a half an hour, there was a lawsuit. And, you know, I'm getting to the point where I'm kind of used to it, you know? If I do anything that I do anything that isn't, you know, what they want me to do, um, I'm going to get a lawsuit. If I put a video out promoting myself, I get, you know, a lawsuit. You know, I <laughs> have you seen some text messages and 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 some things, you know, you know, uh, you you're it will blow your mind. Wow. It will blow your mind. Wow. You, the fans, um, they will blow your mind. So is there a chance this, this puts you on the sidelines for a year, or do you think that it will get settled at some point this year? 
Like, what are you looking at? I mean, what are your people telling you? What kind of a process are you looking at here? Um, they say a good settlement is always better than a uh, a bad settlement is 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 always better than a good litigation. That's what I'm told. Hmm. I don't even know what the words mean. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, so uh, you say you know you rather you rather deal with settling you know with something that you're not happy with than going through the court for whatever. But um, you know, I, I, I have a certain belief, and I, I believe in something, and um, I have hopes and goals and dreams that they're they're more important to me. Um, than, than what's going on right now. And I'm willing to stand up and, and fight for what I believe in. And um, I just, you know, at the end of the day, I just want to fight, you know. And um, I'm not able to do my job because of what's going on. I'm, not, I'm just simply not able to. My, my hands are tied. Uh, you can call it what you want, but I, I, can't, I can't fight the way I want to. I can't fight the people I want to. And um, that, that's it. Final thing, Eddie, and I know you've said a lot. I know it's not a very uh, pleasant interview for you, but anything else that we didn't touch on that you'd like to get out there to the people? This is a great forum. Everyone watching, um, is there anything that you'd like to say about the situation that could maybe help it out or just to, to get your side out there? Um, I, I know if, if fans have any questions, I'd love to, I'd love to answer any questions for fans. I, I see some fans Twitter me and write things, but um, it doesn't seem like they're too knowledgeable about about how things go. And um, I would like to I would like to answer any question that any fans have. You know, some of them are under the misconception that I can just go to the UFC. <laughs> you know, like they say, oh, why don't you go to UFC? What are you scared? Like I, that's not the way it goes, guys. Um, these guys want you to sign contracts and you got to abide by them contracts and you're obligated to them contracts. So, um, it's not that easy. It's not as simple as that. Um, just, I, I want to answer every question that people have out there. I want, I want the questions answered. Well, I think we've answered a lot of them here because I think a lot of people didn't really understand. I mean, they got the tweets, they got the sort of references, the dinner and whatnot, you can figure it out if you're smart. But I think now, I mean, we didn't know about any of this. So I think now it, it obviously clears up a lot. That's that's the sense that I'm getting. So we'd love to know an update on the situation when, you know, when you go to court and whatnot, and we'll monitor the situation and give you the platform here. Um, but I think we addressed a lot here. Yeah, I appreciate it, Errol. And um, uh, even after this, uh, yep. I'm, at e, I'm at E. Alvarez fight uh, on Twitter. And um, I'll be answering questions for the next hour or so for anybody else who has anything um, further because uh, it's, you know, you guys are, you guys allow us guys, us fighters to fight and it's important that you guys know the truth about what really goes on. And um, I, I, what you see in the media isn't always what's true. And um, you deserve to know the truth. You guys are the ones paying. And you guys are the, the ones keeping the sport alive. So, um, important you're told the truth 
So there you have it. It's twitter.com slash E Alvarez fight. He'll be online for the next hour. If there's anything that we didn't ask that you want answered, I think we clarified a lot. But if there's any question, Eddie's saying right now, you see him, he's in front of a computer. He will answer your question. So go online right now. If you're watching this live and, and hit him up and, and we wish you nothing but the best of luck. Always a class act, Eddie. You deserve to get what you deserve. And, uh, and, and we hope it all works out for you one way or the other. Thank you guys. Uh, Thank you, everyone. It's E. Alvarez Fight, um, at E. Alvarez Fight on Twitter. I, I appreciate the fans and, and everyone, man. God bless. There he is, Eddie Alvarez, former Bellator lightweight champion, stuck in a bit of a pickle here between uh, two promoters, an ugly situation, it appears, and we appreciate him coming on the show right now to uh, clear the, the air as best as he can. One more uh, guest to go, and it's fitting that we end with this guest, another man that I've been trying to get on the show for a very long time. We've been talking all show long about Strike Force's finale on Saturday night on Showtime, January 12th on, uh, in Oklahoma City. He is the founder and CEO of the great promotion that is Strike Force. He is Scott Coker, and he joins us right now, and I hear him laughing. Scott, how are you? Oh, good. How are you, Ariel? It's so good to hear from you, Scott. Wow. I mean, when's the last time we did an interview? I can't even remember. It is very good to hear from you. We appreciate you stopping by. Yeah, I'm happy to be on. Well, I'm wondering, you know, someone who has poured so much into one thing, one company, uh, it is who you are. Um, we associate you with the brand. Five days away from the final show, what are the feelings that you are feeling right now? You know, I tell you, it's been a, a long run. You know, we started Strike Force in uh, 1992, actually, so it's been 20 years. We're going on 21 years now, and uh, it started as a kickboxing brand. We had an ESPN2 deal, and you know, we promoted a lot of great fighters, a lot of great kickboxers, and and even Connolly started on uh, the uh, old Strike Force shows, and eventually worked his way over to MMA. Um, and, you know, but over the 20 years, we did some great fights, and we did some big fights. We did some, I mean, just amazing, amazing events, and I'm so proud of what we accomplished. But you know what? 20 years is a long run, and I think that, uh, you know, it's, uh, this, is, this Saturday is, uh, you know, a culmination of, of uh, all the hard work and effort, and it, to me it's a time to celebrate and, and, uh, and celebrate the 20 years of, you know, the commitment to martial arts fighting, whether it was kickboxing or whether it was MMA or show or whatever i mean that's really been my mission statement is you know to make a contribution to the world of martial arts and and i think that i've done that so you're at peace with it no what ifs in the back of your mind no i'm 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 at peace with it and uh like i said i think saturday is going to be a celebration uh we got a great fight card ahead on showtime and uh you know if you look at that, that fight card from top to bottom I'm, I'm so proud of what sean put together uh, for our last show and, uh, you know, and then, and then it's going to be uh, time to move on. So that's a very interesting uh, last statement you make. Time to move on. We asked Dana White about this. He didn't give us many answers. What happens to Scott Coker on Sunday morning? Where, where do you go from there? Well, I wake up and uh, <laughs> I head home and watch the uh, NFL playoff games. <laughs> no, but uh, in all seriousness, you know, I mean, um, you know, I do have a contract with Zufa, which, uh, you know, I uh, intend to honor, and, and so do they. And so, you know, we're going to work together as far as uh, the duties and regulations. I mean, the duties and responsibilities of uh, exactly uh, what that is. Ariel, honestly, I'll probably fly to Vegas in the next, you know, 10 days or so, and, and we'll work all that out. But, uh, uh, you know, my effort really right now is uh, is focusing on having a great show on Saturday night. 
So, and just a couple more, like I said, with Dave Meltzer at the top of the show, contemporary questions, and then I want to, as you mentioned, celebrate and look back. Do you even want to stick around in the MMA business, or at this point, would you like to do something else? Like, now that you've had some free time, uh, there hasn't been a show since August, like, do you have any new hobbies? Are you doing anything else, new business ventures? What, what's going on in the life of Scott Coker? <laughs> oh, boy, I, I tell you, uh, I'm, I'm, uh, it's... It's been an interesting time, you know. We we've never really had that uh, situation unfold in the past, but you know what? Uh, this is something that it just unfolded the way it did, and and you know we've been waiting and waiting, and and now now you know they put together an amazing fight card, and if you look at it from top to bottom, uh, this fight card on Saturday, it's 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 you know it's unbelievable. Yeah, would I like to have Gilbert there to celebrate with us and Luke to celebrate with us? Sure, but you know they got injured, but you know to me when you when you put on Gegard versus Mike Kyle and. And Jack Ray's going to fight Ed Herman, and and Nate's going to fight Tarek, and Daniel Cormier's going to fight Dion. I mean, Josh Barnett's on the card. I mean, it's going to be something that's I'm going to be really, really proud of, and I'm so happy that uh, we put together this fight. Uh, you know, that's so stacked. And look at the undercard. I'm sure you, you heard. You know, that we're going to have uh, Roger Gracie fighting Anthony Smith, KJ, and KJ is a guy that I'm sure you heard. Errol. He he started fighting for me when he was 16 years old mm. as a kickboxer, and and I had to get a note from his dad to allow him to fight in the state of California at that time. So here comes this kid. KJ was 16. And, and I said, I can't let you fight. And he said, no, no, uh, you know, my dad's here. And so I talked to the athletic commission. And they said, if the dad signs a waiver, you can allow him to fight in this uh, in this amateur kickboxing fight. And, and that was the first time I met KJ. And he's fighting Ryan Couture, which is, you know, another kid that's on the, on the way up and, and uh, you know, making a name for himself and Tim Kennedy and, uh, I'm, I'm really looking forward to just sit back, watch the show, and and uh, and uh, and enjoy it. You'll be there, right? Of course. Of course, of course. It w- will it w- you be there? I will be there, Scott. I will be there uh-huh. proudly. Uh, and as I well, mentioned... I Time to hang out. We will have time to hang out. I can't wait. The Chesapeake Energy Arena in Oklahoma City, Oklahoma. So I, I want to go back. You know, you mentioned uh, the decades, and-, and and you've been in the promoting business for a long time before you even gone to MMA. But you know, you made history March tenth, two thousand six, with that first show, uh, the sanctioned show in-, in California, with Shamrock versus Gracie. Why did you even get into the MMA business? What about it attracted you, and what about it made you think that you can actually make Strike Force into a viable MMA promotion? You know, I'll tell you, um, we were doing kickboxing at the time, and, and there was rumors that MMA was going to become legal in the state of California because, you know, as you know, prior to that, it was illegal to do an MMA fight in, in the state. And um, so in 2005, uh, I was told in the very beginning that uh, MMA was going to become legal by the state of California, and we'll have it done by June of 2005. And so I started talking to, uh, um, you know, some of the fighters, and I talked to Frank, and and I said, look, if if MMA is going to come to the state of California, I've had the longest license uh, for 20, 22 years, I believe, at that time, and I want to be the first one to throw it. And I said, I don't know, you know, what's going to happen or how it's going to take or what what it's going to be like, but uh, I'd like to be the first one to do it. And you know, MMA has always been around this area. I'm, uh, I'm, I mean, AKA was around here, you know, for many years before it got into uh, mixed martial arts, and then. You know, then the Frank Shamrock era, and then, you know, Cesar Gracie had his great fighters here. So in the Bay Area, it's always been a hotbed of martial arts and kickboxers and traditional karate stylists and, and many schools and mixed martial artists. And uh, so, you know, it's always it's always been around. So uh, it was a gentleman by the name of Armando Garcia who had taken the position at that time. 
And I said, look, I want to do the first one. And then it got pushed back. It got pushed back. Uh, but as it was getting pushed back, I uh, sat down with Frank Shamrock at the, uh, uh, at the Starbucks right by here uh, in San Jose. And I said, Frank, I really want you to come out of retirement and come fight for, fight for me because I want to be the first one to do this. And so uh, um, he said, okay. And then uh, we identified Caesar Gracie as the opponent. We thought he had a high-profile name. And then, and then we did the first show. And that show was a huge success, right? Over 18,000 fans. Um, it was a great undercard. I mean, you had names like Kung Lee on the card, Nate Diaz, Gilbert Melendez. I mean, it, it all clicked for you. The main event ended very quickly. What was your reaction to that? Like, did you think that that was going to be a, a problem? I mean, you, you never know how fans will react to when they don't feel like they maybe get their money's worth. What, what do you recall your reaction being? Well, you know what? I mean, mixed martial arts is a very fast, explosive, dynamic sport. And that's what happened. I mean, Cesar got caught with the right hand, and then that, the fight was over. But, you know, that could happen uh, at any event. But, uh, but I'll tell you a little story. Before that, when, when I sat down with the arena and I said, look, we're, let's set this thing up for, you know, 6,500 people, because that's really what I thought it would do, 65 or 7,000. And uh, they said, okay, we scaled the ticket prices and we did everything. And then, and then we sold out of 7,000 probably two weeks out of the fight, and then we added more seats, and we added more seats. We just kept opening the arena. And finally, the day, the day uh, and I'm sorry, the day before the show, uh, right before the weigh-ins, uh, I got a call from the arena saying, hey, uh, we sold out of, uh, of all the tickets. So we were pretty much sold out. And uh, I said, wow, well, you know, why don't you just open up, you know, the back sections behind the, the, the stage at that time? And, and he said, no, 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 you don't understand. We're completely sold out. And I said, really? I said, that's unbelievable. And I said, uh, did you save me my, my seats for my, uh, my guests? And he said, no, I didn't. <laughs> so wow. I was scrambling around looking for tickets for my family and, and my guests. And, and uh, so I just thought that was a pretty funny story because we had no idea how that show was going to do and how, and how the uh, fans were going to react. But at that time, Errol, we, you know, it, got, it got some press, but it also got some, uh, a little bit of heat because, you know, it was, it was a first sanction. MMA event in California, a lot of the local media had no idea, you know, what it's like. Uh, because back then, think about it, the Ultimate Fighter was on uh, Spike, I believe. But other than that, you know, it, there was no major television uh, backing it uh, before that show, except for the Ultimate Fighter and the UFC shows on Fox, I believe. But, um, you know, people say, oh, is this a human cockfighting? Is it, you know, is it, uh, uh, you know, is it barbaric? And you're fighting in a cage? And these are the kind of questions I'm getting from legitimate reporters here in the Bay Area, and uh, the sport has come such a long way in the last six, seven years that people forget it. it wasn't that long ago that it had that little, uh, uh, that little, you know, that little taste uh, to, the, to the mainstream media of what MMA uh, was in their eyes compared to what it was uh, in reality. What always impressed me so much about the Strike Force crew was it was a very small crew, but a very effective one. Like for that first show, the first couple of shows, how many people were working for Strike Force? Well, you know, we probably had only a handful. I mean, you know, we probably had about a dozen people. But um, you know, don't don't underestimate how um, how powerful or how 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 much strength a local sports franchise. Uh, in their arena can bring to the table because, you know, they're now they're bringing all their resources to the table mm. and uh, they're bringing all their executives to the table. You're, you're, you know, I'm going to executive meetings on uh, every Tuesday, management committee meetings with these guys, and 
you know, there's three senior VPs, uh, one president of, uh, of the San Jose Sharks, and they're bringing all their marketing knowledge, all their, uh, you know, their database uh, of all their ticket sales uh, for their season ticket holder base. And, and they're bringing a lot to the table. These are really smart guys uh, that have, you know, put on how many events uh, in, in that building. And, and we got the benefit of all that uh, doing the deal that we did with them. What I always found to be so fascinating, what I liked the most about Strike Force was that you were catering to your your local market by putting on local draws. Uh, a lot of them were future stars, and they were great prospects. You had, you know, a mix of, you know, the the the, the household names, if you will, the older guys. You know, you'd bring in a Vitor Belfort and Alistair Overeem. You'd have a guy like a Bobby Southworth who was local, but also had some, you know, pub on the national stage. The Ultimate Fighter. You'd have a guy like Kung Lee. You you just had this amazing mix of talent, which no other organization, you know, as far as building themselves up outside of the UFC, of course, has figured out in North America. They just, they don't seem to be able to understand how to build up from the ground up and to eventually, you know, make your way onto the, the national stage. What was the philosophy? Was that always the philosophy of Strike Force, Or did you, did you realize at some point, wait, we can sort of cater to one sector of this audience and bring in these older guys and bring in these newer guys and kind of blend them together. Gilbert Melendez versus Josh Thompson, a perfect example of that. Was that always the philosophy of Strike Force? You know, I've always believed that you got to have the local angle uh, when you're promoting and, um, you know, so we did a lot of that early on. And then, um, you know, we started building uh, a, little, a little fan base and a bigger fan base. And then we got to MMA. It was, uh, you know, it was like an explosion. That first event was explosion, an explosive event. And then what I did was I had a good relationship with, uh, with uh, Pride at the time. And, we, and then that's how we brought Alistair Overeem to fight Vitor Belfort in our second fight, which I don't think a lot of people remember because – it wasn't on TV. It had no sponsorships. If you if you look at our shows, uh, that those first two years, they they had no television distribution at all, and uh, we were just a local event doing, I, I want to say, an amazing uh, you know fight promotion uh, with some amazing talent. And we were live event based, which means that you know we we relied on ticket sales to to uh, to make our revenue. And uh, but I've always believed in the local angle. Uh, but then we had the benefit of you know bringing some fighters in from other organizations. Uh, but I've always believed this. you got to build, in the last 27 years of promoting, you can't just have one or two guys. you got to keep building the next guy and the next guy and the next guy. And, and, uh, and that was all, has always been the philosophy, and I think that uh, it's proven that we've been good star builders because look at the Daniel Cormier's, the Luke Rockholes, the Ronda Rousey's. The, I mean, the list goes on and on and on. Hmm. These are just the, local, these are the recent guys, but, you know, with Kung Lee or Javier Mendez, who used to kickbox for me back, in the 90s, you know, and, uh, you know, it's, and then before him, there was a guy named Francis Farley, Chris Brinkerhoff, Sam Montgomery, and, uh, you know, uh, before that, there was, a, you know, a guy named Bad Brad Hepton that fought on ESPN1 during the PK karate days. So you've always had to have that main event. So you better be, if you want to be a sustainable business in this, in this field, you better be a good star builder, and then you, and then you can, you can supplement that with, uh, you know, buying a few stars here and there. Are you surprised more people in this business now don't copy that model? Well, you know what? Um, I think I think that one of the advantages that we had here was we had a tremendous talent talent pool here, hmm. and like Josh Thompson was already here, Gilbert Melendez was already here, Nate Diaz, Nick Diaz is here, 
you know, and the list goes on. Cormier's here, Luke Rockwell's here, and so basically, it's you know, uh, pulling these guys out, identifying, identifying the stars, and then and then billing them. But we've always had the the benefit of uh, having the top gyms, um, you know, around this area. And uh, my my first my first experience of MMA was walking into the gym at Javier's at AK on Hillsdale, uh, and seeing Brian Johnston, this big guy. And going, wow, what is, what is he? You know, what, what is this stuff he's doing? And um, you know, he's he was wrestling, he was grappling, and he was you know kickboxing, and then and then eventually he fought in the, in the original UFC back I want to say in '95 and '96, and and then uh, Frank Shamrock came, and then he developed this fight team, and and then all those guys started coming when Frank was really in you know in doing his MMA, and I remember uh, the day he fought Tito Ortiz in '99, and I was like. Wow, this is going to be a great fight, and, and I had no idea what you know historic event that would be. And uh, it's you know again, it goes back to the Bay Area. I think being a hotbed for uh, martial arts of all kinds, uh, and, and and MMA specifically now because there's so many great gyms uh, here here in town. One of the early highlights of my career was covering an MMA event at the Playboy Mansion. I, I went to the second one. That was a fun. Uh, a fun event. Joe Riggs was on the card, and some other names. Kazuo Masaki. How did you? How did you broker that deal? You know, I had a friend of mine that was doing boxing uh, over at the mansion, and he said, "Hey, why don't you come do MX Martial Arts Show?" And I said, "Sure, why not? Let's go try it." <laughs> so I talked. I talked to the guys at the HP, and when, and I think logistics was probably the biggest challenge for that show. Trying right. to get the TV truck in there, and trying to get you know all the production value done, and. And and just to make it a nice show, and I think I think I mean you were there. I think we accomplished that. What, what do you think? I thought it was fun. I liked it. There was a gimmick. You know, it's always fun when the venue is also part of the story. And I'm not sure how much money you made off it, but as far as visually, I thought it was fun, and it was great to to cover it there. Yeah, and you know, to have Hugh come out with his girls sitting <laughs> in the front row, it was pretty fun. It was a great night, and you know, it was uh, it was one of those things that I thought that uh, at that time really worked for us and. And then we moved on to, uh, you know, to do the, 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 you know, different different shows in different venues around the country. And, you know, and I think one of the things that uh, I'm really thankful to my guys over at Silicon Valley Sports Entertainment, uh, Jim Goddard and Greg Jameson and Charlie Foss, is that, you know, when, when they saw this MMA product, um, you know, these are traditional sports guys. They, they really saw something in it and said, hey, let's, let's get behind these guys. And, and I brought them the pro elite opportunity. Uh, when uh, you know they were up for sale, or they were, uh, you know, they were having a hard, little hard time, I think in '09 or '010, and um, you know, and you know, they they went out and and and, and really committed to uh, getting behind the sport, and that's how we ended up with all those great athletes. So we ended up on our roster, uh, and it didn't, you know, and then it eventually got us the Showtime and the CBS deal, and that really changed the dynamics of what Strikeforce was from a, a regional show. To a national show doing 16 fights uh, a year across the country compared to four shows a year just in, in the Bay Area. A real fun moment in the history of Strike Force, I thought, was Shamrock Baroni. I love the buildup. I love the, the, the trash talking, the, the YouTube videos. I mean, it was really when the internet was an MMA, it, it was being used perfectly by everyone involved. And it led to the pay per view fight. It was Elite XC and Strike Force. How challenging was it to put on that fight? Considering all the nonsense going on behind the scenes, it, it looked like it, it it came off well and everyone was happy. But behind the scenes, what do you remember of that whole process? 
You know, I'll tell you, um, it was uh, something I was really excited about because I uh, uh, I knew Phil and Frank were going to, you know, promote it uh, extremely well. And there was, uh, at that time, some genuine dislike between those two guys. And Phil can sell a fight, uh, and Frank can sell a fight. And so it was just great build-up, great hype. And uh, it was a little challenging working with the, you know, the old guard over at Elite XC and and uh, we we part we're, I think we co-partnered on, on that show where it was a co-promotion, um, but um, you know we got through it and and you know that's that's probably one of our our uh, you know greatest uh, production produce shows that I think that we've done. We've spent more money on the production of that show than than any other show I think we've done since then. And also another great one was Shamrock versus Lee. That was a, a very big turning point uh, for the company. You look back. Is there a favorite moment? I mean, there, there there have been a lot. You know, you talk about the first one, the the last two I mentioned. There's Verdum Fedor. There's the CBS shows. There's Carano Cyborg. I mean, we could list many here. But is there one moment fight that really sticks out as as your favorite? Yeah, you know what? I'll tell you. Um, it, and I can judge it by the fan response in the building, and and that was the Shamrock versus Kung Lee fight. And we sold the venue half to Kung's fans and half to Frank's fans. And uh, it was so electric in there. I, I, you know, I've been to a lot of big fights, and uh, and this was right up there. And it was so loud, you couldn't hear anything. And and uh, it was a moment that you know everybody thought that uh, uh, you know Kung was going to get his butt whooped by Frank, and it was going to be no fight, it was no contest. And and um, I remember talking to uh, Javier, who, and I said, well, what do you think about this fight? He said, I think that I think Kung has a shot. Is he going to win? I don't know, but he has a shot. And so uh, I said, look, I'm just looking for a fair matchup and a great main event. And uh, it, it was, I think, one of the most electrifying uh, nights of, 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 of fights in, in, in the HP Pavilion, which is probably, I think, the greatest place to watch an MMA event uh, in the United States. That, that, that building is built for mixed martial arts with the screens, the multimedia, everything. And, and I think Kong and Frank, um, was probably the pinnacle of that. Um, but like you said, there's so many great moments. And if you talk about the pillars of Strike Force, really it was Frank first in MMA, Kung, hmm. Gilbert, Josh. And then I would say the Corona Cyborg fight was after that. Hmm. And But the first four pillars that I said, that I mentioned with, with Frank, Kung, Gilbert, and Josh those were the, the building blocks of, of our organization. And, you know, I'll be grateful, you know, forever to those guys for putting their hearts out and, and fighting their asses off because really, you know, without those four guys, I don't think we would have built this company into what it was. Well, that is high praise. Is it fun for you, Scott, when you see, like, Kung fighting in Macau against Rich Franklin and, and doing what, what he did there? And, you know, in the future, you're going to get a chance to see Gilbert fighting the UFC probably and the return of Josh Thompson and some other strike force guys that have come over and Luke, who I know means a lot to you. I mean, when those guys are fighting now, now that you're in the position that you're in now, do you make it a point that you have to watch these fights? And does the fan and you kind of come out a little bit rooting for your guys? You know, you know what, honestly, um, um, Errol, the fan of me has never left. And that's one of the reasons why I got into promoting is, you know, I, I would say, well, what if this guy fought this guy? Well, let's let's go promote it and see what happens. And and so when Kung fights, man, I I, I woke up at you know seven a.m. or eight a.m. whatever it was to get up and watch. I, I will never miss one of his fights. And and uh, same thing with all my other guys. And and you know what? Uh, that that really for the fans and for the fighters, 
it, 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 it's really the beauty of the deal between Strikeforce and uh, Zufa as far as the buyout, because now as a fan, you'll get to see Gilbert fight the UFC champion, Ben Henderson, or, and you'll get to see Luke fight uh, Silva eventually, and you'll get to see um, you know, DC fight, hopefully John Jones in the future. And you and and I, and I tell you, I, I like what I'm seeing out there with the results of the Strikeforce guys having great results in the UFC. These guys are amazing athletes. I'm going to be rooting for them. But now the fans get to see all the fights that they really wanted to see. Any regrets? Yeah, uh, should have had more vegetables yesterday. <laughs> but, uh, hey, you... No, but on a serious note, Errol, here, here's I would say the one the one black eye that I regret. That uh, we, you know, we definitely fixed the situation after was uh, the natural situation with the uh, the little thing with Mayhem Miller and the Diaz right. boys and and all that. It, I think again, it's when you do something like that, it really goes against everything that I believe as far as trying to propel what martial arts is, trying to propel what you know mixed martial arts is, and trying to get away from the stigma of the past of what people believe that mixed martial arts is, and trying to put it in a First class light, and and here we are. We're on the Tiffany Network, you know, uh, and 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 something like that happens. It's just, it's just not a good thing. And I was, you know, I was embarrassed by that. And uh, but we, we we made sure that that never happened, you know, after that, or even got close, because we set some new ground rules and regulations that uh, prohibited people to come into the cage. And uh, you know, a lot of fighters weren't happy with it, but. We definitely were not going to have that happen again, uh, you know, to us uh, with uh, with the fighters and uh, and, uh, and you know getting to the cage and creating some type of altercation with each other. Looking back today, would you do the uh, the Elite XC deal again? Would you buy those ath- assets? Do you think that was a smart move for Strikeforce? Oh, absolutely. I mean, you know, now you end up with thirty four. You know, we probably end up with, I don't know, with fifty or sixty athletes. And I would say 30 of them were, you know, that's how we ended up with Gina. We ended up with um, uh, Jake Shields, Robbie Lawler. You know, all, all those guys came from that that uh, that contract uh, or that that deal, and they were fighting for Elite XC. And um, to me, that that was the deal that really was the pivot point for us becoming from a regional. I would say a pretty pretty, you know, top-notch regional show. You know, doing amazing things. Uh, and switching the knob over to now becoming a national show, uh, like I said, on Showtime, on CBS, with major sponsors, and and now we're doing 16 dates across the country instead of four dates just here in the Bay Area. We spoke to Stephen Espinoza in the first hour, the executive vice president of Showtime Sports. want to get your take on this. What do you think happens to MMA on Showtime? Do you think it, it sticks around in some form? Do you think they'll, they'll, they'll hook up with someone else? Oh, I think they'll be back. I mean, you know, those guys definitely uh, are really smart guys, great, you know, television programmers. And uh, and really, um, Showtime is what built Strikeforce uh, on their network and CBS. Uh, and without them, we wouldn't have the, the, the national platform uh, to show all these, you know, fighters and their talents uh, across the country. And I think that uh, we did some great work as far as getting some amazing fights together, did some great work together, getting uh, some big ratings uh, for for uh, Showtime, and I think it's, it was just a great partnership. And and uh, you know, I know that uh, they believe in in, in MMA, and uh, you know, at some point, I'm sure that uh, you know they'll be back. Will Scott Coker promote some kind of fighting 
again? Will you be involved in the promotion of combat sports at some point in the future? Uh, yes, and Ariel, I'll be involved in the, the fighting business this Saturday, so <laughs> make sure that you're there. And uh, and make sure you I love tell all it. your listenership to tune in because it's going to be a great show Saturday night. I love I love that you're you're still a promoter. At the end of the day, you're a fan slash promoter. You're promoting the fights January twelfth, of course, Strike Force. By the way, one last thing before I let you go. What about kickboxing? Any chance you ever go back into that world? I mean, you know what? To me, I love kickboxing. I love watching it. Uh, and, and like I said earlier, I have a relationship with uh, with Zufa, and uh, I intend to honor it and. You know, and let's see what let's see what goes from there. But uh, as far as being a fan of kickboxing, I love it, and uh, I'm going to continue watching whatever kickboxing I can out there. And and uh, and and you know, and uh, to me, it's okay to be a fan and sit mm. and watch TV and and watch it on. You know, because honestly, I feel like, like I said, you know, 20 years of promoting. It's been actually 27 years, but Strike Force has been, uh, you know, been around 20, 21 years. And Errol, after 21 years, I feel like, look, it's okay to sit back and, and watch some of these shows. Sure. You know, I don't have to jump in there and, and, uh, and do it myself. I, I, I enjoy just sitting down and watching uh, TV. In fact, I, was, uh, I had a great time watching the Cain Velasquez fight uh, on my iPad uh, when I was traveling over the holidays. I mean, to me, it's, you know, I don't need to be there sometimes. I don't, you know, I don't uh, have to be at every fight or watch every fight, but the fights that I get to watch, I'm, I'm definitely enjoying them. And, you know, I'm a martial artist first, and I'm uh, going to continue to support martial arts and contribute to, you know, martial arts because it's something that I believe in, uh, and I've dedicated my whole life to, you know, trying to continue the growth of martial arts. And that's not going to stop. Errol is just going to go into a different fashion, that's all. Cain Velasquez, a guy who in uh, October of 2006 made his debut in Strike Force, his MMA debut right. was in Strike Force, so good not there. By the way, you keep mentioning it. Just curious, I have to ask the question: How long is that Zufa deal for? When does it expire? Well, you know what? That's something I don't want to get into the oh, okay. contractual, you know, relationship. Sure, sure. Of course, you know I can't do that. But you know what? Um, uh, maybe we can chat about it on Saturday when I see okay. you. I, I I will be there with flying colors, and I have to say, just for a moment here, uh, as I mentioned earlier, but I want to say to you, uh, both to you and to all of the members of Strike Force, Michael Framwitz as well, uh, who one of the first organizations to give me my credential to allow me to uh, cover MMA events before other organizations wouldn't. It, it meant a lot. My first event was Melendez Thompson One in 2008, and I always there was something magical about going to the HP Pavilion, San Jose, the other corner of the uh, of the country. I remember even when Brock Lesnar was fighting Randy Couture in UFC, I couldn't go to that event. I couldn't cover it, so I was going to see Bobby Southworth versus Babalu and Kim Couture fighting for uh, Strike Force. I, I was proud to cover those events. I will truly, truly miss them, and I hope that you're around our sport for many years to come because love covering you, love how much the fan in you comes out, love what you brought to the sport. I remember the moment with the iPad and the, the tournament and when you'd come on this show many times. You've always been very, very good to me, and, and I truly, truly appreciate it. And I hope you enjoy Saturday night because it is truly a celebration and, and, uh, and, and a huge sort of party for everything that you've done uh, for this sport, and you should be very proud of it because Strikeforce, in my opinion, has a huge, huge footprint on this sport we called mixed martial arts. Yeah, thank you. I really appreciate it. And, 
you know, I'll be in New York probably sometime uh, in February, and I'll come by and and uh, I'll come on your show again. We'll we'll chat it up some more. Great, thank you so much, Scott. Enjoy Saturday night, and and once again, congratulations on an amazing run for your promotion. Thanks, buddy. All right, there he is, Scott Coker, CEO, founder of Strike Force. They close the curtain on that promotion on Saturday night, January twelfth, eight p.m. Showtime Extreme, ten p.m. Showtime. That is Eastern Standard Time. And it is a very good card. And I like the card. Of course, it's not Strike Force Champions. It's not Gilbert Melendez, Pat Healy. It's not Luke Rockhold, Lorenz Larkin. But it's still Daniel Cormier and Nate Marquard and Tarek Safadine, Mike Kyle and Josh Barnett, Gegard Musasi, I mean, Ed Herman, Jacare. And that Showtime Extreme card is interesting. It reminds me a lot of WEC 53, the final WEC card where a lot of the guys were fighting for their UFC future. I mean, you look at Ryan Couture, KJ Nunes, is it win or go home? You know, you look at Tim Kennedy, Trevor Smith. You look at Haja Gracie, Anthony Smith, Pat Healy fighting. You know, I mean, a lot of interesting fights. A lot of interesting fights. Mike Kyle and Gega Musasi. It is a very interesting card, and I look forward to being there uh, on Saturday night. All right, so two more things left to do. Let us go. Let us welcome back Mr. Rick. We haven't heard from him all show long. Mr. Rick, are you there? I'm here. I have a very interesting thing to tell you. Uh, but first, let okay. us look back quickly at UFC 155. How did you do at UFC 155? Perfect 4-0. Oh. Really? Well, yes. Which fights were these? I picked... Uh, Kane over JDS. Okay. I picked um, Miller over Lozon. I picked. Hmm, what were the other? Forgetting your picks. I'm forgetting what were the other fights on the card. Um, oh, I picked uh, Philippu over Boach, and I picked Okami over um, Alan Belcher. You didn't do Lieben Brenton? No, because when we picked that, uh, Lieben was still fighting Vemela, who oh, I right. picked. That's right. That's and right. then over Twitter, I picked Brunson, but I'm not counting that. Okay, fair enough. Got to keep it above board. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, all right, so you went 4-0. Right now, there are no lines for Strike Force, right? That's correct. Who are you favoring, though? Let's, uh, let's take a look at the main event. Okay. Nate Marquardt, Tarek Safadine, welterweight title. Important fight for Safadine. It sounds like uh, Marquardt's going over one way or the other. Who are you picking in that fight? Uh, Nate. You're kind of down on this card, aren't you? I'm not loving it. I think that there's a lot of good fighters on it, but I don't think there's a lot of good fights. You think I they're think squash that, matches? Yeah, a lot of them. Are, a lot of them are squash matches. A lot, like I mean, there. You know, if somebody upsets them, then I'll be looking at it with a whole new light. Oh my god, that was amazing! But I don't see it happening. So, you view these fights as sort of showcase fights for like it's clear who who they want to win. Absolutely. Yeah. So does does Marquardt even, you know, does the does Safadine well, even put up a fight well, here? Well, I'd say that 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 fight's not one of them that I'm talking about in particular. I think that Safadine's a very capable fighter. I just really like Nate Marquardt. I think that um he's put it together recently and his the complete package that he has the skills that he has are just going to be tough to beat. Um and I think that he's going to win. Uh, I'm not sure about easily uh, this is not one of those matches where I'm saying it's a complete, you know, wash, but I think that Nate's going to take this one. Cormier, Dion starring. I mean, there's there's nothing really to say <laughs> here. I, I last right before we left, I said that Cormier is the best heavyweight in the world. Um, Better so, than Cain Velasquez after in, you saw what he did. In my opinion, I mean, nobody was less surprised by Cain Velasquez winning than me. I've been saying but it in all the along. Fashion. But no, I exp- the only thing that was surprising was that he didn't finish him. Not mm. the fact that he dominated him from bell to bell. Do you think it should have been stopped in the first round? No. You like that, I, that Herb let it go on? I think that 
even though you can make an argument that, you know, Junior took unnecessary punishment, there was no way he was quitting. And I don't think that um, anybody should have stopped it. I think that what happened was what's going to happen in the sport sometimes where the guy is so tough and he's not going to quit. So let him fight. I got to tell you, the fight that I would pay the most money to watch in 2013, the most intriguing fight for me is Cain Velasquez versus Daniel Cormier. And this is not me starting shit. This is not me stirring the pot. This is not me trying to be instigator, all that. It is a fascinating matchup. It is an amazing styles matchup. I mean, they look almost the exact same. They obviously train together, but they're both great wrestlers who have developed into great strikers. Um, who's going to take down who? Who's going to stop who as far as take down the fence? I mean, who's going to get the better of who on the feet? I love that matchup. I, I, I wish we would be able to see it. It doesn't sound likely... Who'd you pick in that fight? Uh, Cormier is my horse, man. Okay. I'm picking Cormier in that wow. one. Um, I, I think Kane is amazing, but I think that Cormier is just a different breed of, of heavyweight. Is he, The way he was able to make his hands look so crisp and just the way he was able to develop his striking game coming from such a dominant wrestling background, um, I've never seen anything like it. He's, he's, an, he's an incredible athlete. Speaking of heavyweights, uh, I mean, no one really knows who Nandor... Gelmino is that's uh, Josh Barnett's opponent I mean he looks very impressive um, but I think this is a very important fight for Josh Barnett it's the last fight on his current contract no word one way or the other uh, whether or not he'll be coming over to the UFC after this I think if he wins impressively he could make a strong case maybe he comes on the mic and says what he has to say he loses to the, what is it, Nander the Hunt or something? Nander the Hun? Yep. Yeah. Um, he loses. I think it's it's trouble for him. I'm not expecting you to break down Nandor, but are you picking Josh Barnett? I mean, from what little <laughs> I know, I got to go with Josh Barnett. Yeah. The thing about Josh Barnett is he these are the type of fighters that, you know, won't really pose a problem for him. Like, um, until you reach the really, like, higher upper echelon fighters, um, Josh Barnett is just built to take these type of guys out. And now that, you know, that's, I full, full disclosure, I don't know much about Nandor. So um, you have to take that for what it is. I don't think any of us do. So I'm picking Barnett, but, you know, what does that really mean? By the way, who's Smeagol? Do you know someone named Smeagol? Smeagol? Some, is that someone, Lord of the Rings? Someone wrote, good job getting Smeagol on the show. Oh, never mind. That's New York Rick. I don't even know. What is Smeagol? Smeagol's that, the my precious thing. Is that an insult? Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's not nice. Uh, I did notice earlier, you look like Tarek Safadine. I mean, we already established well, this Well, when I shave and yeah. get the, the haircut going. It's amazing. Um, You're like a chameleon as far as these MMA fighters. What about uh, Mike Kyle and Gayer Musasi? This is an interesting one because, I mean, this one had been in the works for a while, right? Yeah. Didn't they Didn't they shut this down like a bunch of times? Yep. And, um I, I think Gegard is one of the most talented fighters. Uh, I mean, on this show, he confirmed that he barely was training at... at you know, amazing. early in his career. And I just think that he's such a talented striker. Um, and even, you know, from his guard, for example, in the fight with King Mo, um, Mo was on top, but Gegard was landing such like devastating shots from the bottom. I think that his game is just so complete and he's such a good striker. I'm going with Gegard in this one. By the way, what about uh, Isaac biting my style over there with the plaid? I think this has happened multiple times. I think right before the break, you guys were wearing the same shirt. <laughs> <laughs> well, that means we're in sync. Now, earlier, before we went on air, you actually said to me that you think Jacare Souza is a top five middleweight, right? I do. You think he's top five. Where, where, where do you put Luke Rockhold then? 
I don't put Luke Rockhold as high as Jacare. And now I know he won. Um, I'll say controversially, I think that Jacare won that fight. Um, judges didn't agree. And I think it was it was close regardless. But I think that Jacare is above Luke, in my opinion. Um, but of course. It's, uh, it's, it's, it's close. I wouldn't say, you know, he's Luke is so far from him. I just say that I think Jacare, when he decides to use his jiu-jitsu, when he goes aggressively after it, rather than, you know... There, it, this is like one of the things that I'm accustomed to seeing because being a BJ Penn fan, this happens a lot where he's just content to counterbox, which is what he, uh, Jacare was doing against uh, Rockhold was he was just, okay, I'm landing huge shots. So I'm just going to sit in the pocket and keep throwing these. And now that doesn't look great for the judges. And that's why I think he lost the fight. The The level of, of activity from uh, Rockhold was amazing. He was just coming after him nonstop while Jacare was sitting back and landing hard punches. But um, it doesn't look good for the judges. So if it goes to decision, you're not really gonna, you know, be favorable in that in that aspect. But I think when he's being aggressive, when he's going out after guys taking them down and using his jujitsu or coming with the strikes at them, I think that he it's hard to compete with the package that he has with the with the power he has in his fists and the level of uh, grappling that he has. I'm I'm very high on Jacare. So you're picking him to beat Herman. Yes, yes, I am. And you think he goes far? I mean, like, let's say. I think the number two middleweight in the UFC is Chris Weidman. You think he beats Weidman? I think that would be a coin flip. Hmm. I would. I would. I wouldn't. I'd have to, you know, look at it a little more. But I think that that's a coin flip right now. By the way, after what happened at 155 with Tim Boach losing, um, with Alan Belcher losing, and you know, Okami, I don't think he's going to get another title shot. I don't think Costa Philip. He'll tell you he he's not there. Jacare versus Weidman upon Weidman's return. That could be very interesting. That'd be a great fight. Um, in fact, yeah, that's that. I would look forward to that fight forever. I would, I would love that fight. As soon as they booked it, I'd be waiting for it. Uh, that'd be a great fight. All right, so that's the main card. Once again, it's uh, it's free on Showtime. If you have some access to getting Showtime, even if you don't subscribe to Showtime, you can still watch the fights on Saturday. That's pretty awesome. Uh, they kick off at eight p.m. Eastern on Showtime Extreme, and then 10 p.m. Eastern, you've got the main card on Showtime. Now, those were the picks. No lines involved because there are no lines for these fights yet. Follow New York Rick on Twitter. Later on this week, he has vowed to give you his picks with the lines. But I have, I mean, based on who he picked, I'm assuming all these guys are the favorites, and it doesn't sound like he's going to change much on them. So this one's kind of a, this one's kind of like a wash, if you will. Next week, though, it really begins for New York Rick because I have decided, my friends, beginning with UFC on FX7, that I'm going to give New York Rick a fake $100 bill. I need your help, though. Fake? A fake one. I, can't, I mean, yes. Don't go to the store. Don't try to cash it in, whatever. Um, I know you like to do that kind of thing. You know, you're a swindler, as they say. But um, what I want New York Rick to do, because a lot of people keep accusing him of not knowing what he's doing or the favorites, this and that. He has to turn that $100 bill into X amount of dollars. I don't know what that X amount of dollars is. That's where you guys come in. I want you to write to me or him on Twitter and let us know what that cap should be, what that number should be, and by when. Because I'm not much of a gambler. I don't really know how this stuff works. All I know is that by a certain time, I'm thinking April or May, if he hasn't turned that $100 into, I don't know, let's say $500, New York Rick is gone. That's kind of, <laughs> that's kind of a hefty uh, Why? ask. That, that I mean, listen. That would mean that I'd have to bet on a five to one dog 
You don't have to do it in one shot. No, I know I don't have to do it in one shot. Build it up. But that's the equivalent. I mean, yeah, no, no, I want to build it up. Um, I think that Listen, this parlays. is parlays. A... I mean, do what you got to do. All you have to do is to, I don't care what you do. You know what? Good. Yeah. Yep. Go ask the people. Yeah. Give me a number and and let's get why, let's why get it started. Why were you hesitant? Just, uh, five to one is is a lot. No, to, I, to, I, I said to, I, I'm just I'm just to make five that up. times my money. That's that's a lot. That's a lot of an ask because I'm not going to be betting my whole hundred every time. Sure. You know what I'm saying? But you do um, a piece here. You could do twenty on this guy, ten on this, whatever. Well, you want. I I will be doing yeah. that. But that's all right. I, I I'm I'm up for the challenge. It's it's a big ask, but I'm ready. Let's okay. Do it. So on Twitter. If you're watching this live, you don't have to do the right this second, but at some point this week before Monday's show, let me know what that number should be. And you can make the you can you can make the pitch next week as well. Think about it. Let me know what the fair number is. I, I don't know what that number should be, yeah. so I can't really I don't want to be unfair and yeah. I don't want to make it too easy. But let me know what that hundred dollars should turn into to prove to everyone that he deserves to be making these picks. All right. I'm ready, bring it. That's for UFC on FX seven. Some of those lines are already out, so you can kind of figure it out from now. Uh, one more thing, as far as New York Rick is concerned, I was on the MMA report last week. That's uh, hosted by my good friend John Pollock on TSN Radio, and we were playing a game of unlikely likely uh, for 2013. Like he was asking me things, you know, will Anderson Silva be the champion uh, this time next year? Will uh, New York uh, host an MMA event, etc., cetera, etc.? Cetera. And one of the questions he asked me pertained. To New York Rick, much to my surprise, I didn't expect to, to, to get a question about lowly old New York Rick, uh, New York Rick but uh, there it was. He asked me the question, and I wanted to play it for you all because I thought it was a fun little moment. And the final one, New York Rick it becomes the <laughs> co-host of the MMA Hour. I can't even believe New York Rick's name is being mentioned. It was such a prestigious radio show. Uh, Rookie of the Year award, I, I believe, is, in broadcasting. Really? Wow. I'm a big Holy fan of moly. New York, Rick. Really? Really? Wow. I, I guess there's one. Uh, oh, like wow. It, of course. I mean, this guy just walks in. He thinks he could get you know, more than 20 minutes of airtime. Why do you have to expand the show? Because there's no way he's going to eat into the, the original two hours. So I have to give him something on the back end. He's a great addition to the team. But co-host, uh, I'm not sure. Rookie of the Year, New York, Rick. Wow. There it is. You heard that. What was your reaction? I mean, you know, no big deal for me. It's just <laughs> wow. another day. Unbelievable. No, uh, I'm, I, I'm flattered. Absolutely can't, you know, obviously um, it's great to hear that. It's good that you, know, you have one fan. I mean, yeah. you get so much hate. So, somebody's out there appreciating instead of being like, oh, you look like Smangle or whatever the hell. <laughs> um, whatever the hell these nerds are saying. Whoa. Uh, Very aggressive. Yeah, but anyway, what you wanted to say was thank you to John Pollock for the mention. Yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah, right. um, my my new best friend, John Pollock. Yeah, um, there he is. It's a great show. It's the MMA Report on uh, TSN Radio. It's actually the only other MMA podcast that I that I listen to on a frequent basis. Um, and I also love live audio wrestling, which uh, you know, I've been listening for many, many years. That's also on TSN Radio, FightNetwork.com, all that good stuff, LiveAudioWrestling.com. So anyway, thank you very much uh, for having me on the show last week. And uh, New York Rick uh, appreciates the shout-out as well. Okay, let's, uh, let's get to the questions. Again, at stake, the Ultimate 100, the greatest fights in UFC history. It includes 100 full fights, over 26 hours of historic UFC action, eight discs, eight unbelievable you know what's interesting the sticker on the front of the dvd says 25 hours of footage on the back of the dvd it says 26 unbelievable 
Anyway, it's uh, it's courtesy of uh, Anchor Bay Entertainment, our good friends over there. And uh, by the way, I also want to thank our good friends over at uh, Round 5 who hooked us up. What is this, Series 11? Yes. Series 11, look at this. We've got Chael. No. What? Ch- Chael is from uh, 10. Oh, okay. I thought it wasn't Chael. Uh, we've got Mark Munoz here making an interesting face. This one is one of my favorites. Very fitting. Vitor Belfort. New Vitor Belfort. There was an older one, but this one, his hair is quaffed to the side, as you can see, like the new Vitor. He's got the Ultimate Fighter Brazil shorts. It's great. If you're listening to this via MP3 podcast, you have no idea what I'm talking about, but trust me, it's a great action figure. Now, here we've got... Who's this? Is this the Dominator? Carlos Condit. (laughs) (laughs) Kind of looks like a fat Chris Weidman, if you ask me. Still cool, nonetheless. Um, well, of course, here we have George St. Pierre, one of the 9,000 they've made of George. And this is, oh, Johnny Bones. This is a, this is a way better Johnny Bones than the other one, right? Yeah, that's a, that's a good one. This is a good one. And, of course, how can we forget the great Brittany Palmer in her WC attire holding up the five for round five? There it is. And uh, a little to her right, I'm not sure it's going to stay. It's not going to stay. There's my El Goyito mask that I got from Eric Perez. And if you look, can we see what's here, Isaac? Can we see? There it is, my friends. A little preview. Hawani Knows coming at you. February of 2013, HawaniKnows.com. A lot of you people ask me about it. There it is. The shirt right there. Hawani Knows is going to be available in three colors to start off. But we're expanding Shipping everywhere. Don't worry. February 2013, hawaiianos.com. It is coming. All right. Let's get to the questions. Here we go. Okay. First one. This one comes from the uh, website, from the comment section. Okay. We've had some variations of this uh, in the past, but you just did the interview with uh, Liz, so I think this is a relevant question. If Liz Carmouche beats Rousey and wins the title, do you think there is an immediate future for women in the UFC? I can't imagine Carmouche headlining a UFC event. You know, it's a very interesting question. Um, I sort of asked her this question when I when I spoke to her at 155. Like, obviously, she wants to win, but her win could mean the end of women's MMA. I think it's very interesting that they haven't booked another women's MMA fight. I mean, they're booking all these other strike force fighters. Where's Misha Tate? Where's Sarah McMahon? You know, what's going on with Cyborg? We just saw Alexis Davis uh, fight for Invicta. Sarah Kaufman's fighting on the next Invicta show. I'm very interested to see what they do with the women's MMA division. I was on UFC Tonight saying that's my most intriguing storyline of 2013, at least to monitor what becomes of the women's MMA division in the UFC. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if they don't book another women's MMA fight until that fight happens. Um, It's going to be very interesting. Of course, this is MMA. Uh, Upsets happen. Crazy things happen. Karmouche could win the fight. I don't think a lot of people are picking her to win, but... It would be very interesting to see what that means for women's MMA if she wins. Let's just say she does win. I say they stick around maybe for a rematch. You know, you see what happens next to Rousey. I don't think they pull the plug right away. There's always a rematch that can do well. But I certainly don't think it's as healthy as it is today or as if, you know, R- Rousey wins. They love Ronda Rousey. I mean, Dana White says it's the Ronda Rousey show. Her banner's there. I mean, they, they love her. They can't get enough of her. Um so that's going to be very interesting. But to ask your, your, your sort of immediate question, if she wins, will women's MMA in the UFC you know, be done with? No, but I don't think it will stick around much longer after that if that happens. 
our next question is about the uh, Invicta card from this weekend. Why also we say, from the comments section. Why don't we section. say who, who it's coming from? Okay. Ganji or oh. Gangi? <laughs> okay. That worked out well for the first one. Um, online pay-per-views broadcasts haven't been working good for Invicta. Where can they go from here? They have a very strong fan base. That's a very good question. I, th- I thought Saturday night was, uh, was the first blunder for Invicta because their first shows had their streaming issues, but they were free, and they all sort of worked themselves out. This one, it was pay-per-view. You couldn't buy it. If you bought it, sometimes it didn't work. Once they lifted the paywall, it still didn't work, at least for me. People were watching illegal streams of a stream. It was very weird. Um, I, I thought it was a mistake not to have a play-by-play guy. Um, I think Boss is great. He's a legend, but he's not a play-by-play guy. You know, you have to have a guy who's a traffic cop. You see why guys like Morrow, John Anik, Mike Goldberg, at, at least in our sport, are needed because they are play-by-play men. They're great at what they do. They know what it takes to sort of direct traffic. Boss is a color guy. I thought that was a bit of a mistake. Um, and I thought the card was good. I mean, I thought... It didn't have maybe that sort of intriguing lineup that the first three had. I don't know. Something felt off about it. I don't know. I don't know what it was. Um, they need to get it figured out. I, I think they need to get off the internet at this point. You know, you had your first four shows. They were all essentially free at this point. Why aren't we making a deal? Why aren't we on TV? Is there no good deal out there? Well, if there isn't, how long can they last on the internet? I mean, interesting. You saw Steven Espinoza. He knew they had a show on Saturday. He said he liked it. I mean, he certainly is paying attention. I think for Showtime, that makes all the sense in the world. Maybe it's not every Invicta show. Maybe it's four a year. But to have four big fights a year on Showtime, I think, makes so much sense. It's an alternative to the UFC. It's different. People are into it. I mean, my boss at MMA Fighting, our editor, Brian Tucker, telling me that, you know, Invicta does great traffic on the site. People are into it. People are very interested in this concept and this brand. Um, I think it makes a lot of sense for, for Strike Force, excuse me, for Showtime, especially with no other great alternative out there. But uh, they need to get off the, the streaming stuff. And, 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 and if they stay with the streaming stuff, I mean, they need to figure it out. I mean, just figure it out. Pay as much money as possible to figure it out. It can't keep happening this way. Oh. Got some Twitter questions. Okay. Going to win a DVD, possibly. Yes. Okay, so the first question, was Hyper Die, Pat Barry, the best corner man ever at Invicta this weekend? Absolutely. If you haven't seen that video, it's on our site right now. Um, Did you see the video? I did. He's unbelievable. I mean, he is really one of the great characters of our sport. Um He's, I, it's, it's amazing what he brings to the table. Oh, still a better love story than Twilight. There's the picture right there um, of them kissing in the cage. His enthusiasm, his passion, the way he celebrated his emotion. I mean, that's awesome. That's a great picture right there. That's a beautiful thing. He, you know, he talked about Rose on our show. You could see how he almost cares about her career more than his. And uh, I think it all just sort of adds to the legend of Pat Barry from the guy who you know, had that big win at 104 when he was eating ketchup and rice and sort of worked his way up into this guy who just produces one fight of the night after another or knockout of the night after another. That's probably his proudest moment. That, that's great stuff right there. Makes me a little emotional. Our next question. Are wins for this week's Strikeforce fighters all about getting to the UFC or is there still some Strikeforce pride on the line? I don't know if there's a lot of strike force pride on the line. There are no there are no like strike force throwbacks, you know. And, and at this point these guys want to make money. These guys want to 
resume their careers. They want to fight in the UFC. I mean, that's that's the big dance right now. So I just think guys want to win, and then they want to go into the UFC. I don't think a guy – I mean, a guy like Ed Herman, it's kind of cool. He says, yeah, I'll take the fight. It's the last show, and you know that means something. People will remember it. I'll take the fight. If it was not the last show, he probably wouldn't take it. But I don't think anyone is – I thought it was cool that Derek Brunson was wearing the Strikeforce sweatshirt at 155, but he was already in the in the UFC, so you know he could be nostalgic. At this point, I think all the guys want to move on. They want to see how they match up with the UFC fighters, and and for them, I mean, uh, there's no pride on the line, but a lot of these guys have to win. I mean, a lot of these guys, not everyone's coming over. There are some obvious ones out there. I think if Cormier loses, he's still coming over. I think if Musasi loses, he's probably still coming over. But there's some other guys who won't come over if they lose. That's what's on the line. Interesting that you said that. Because mm. that was the next question, actually. Oh, wow. So, I mean, we can just read it. Is Will the- Gegard Musasi end up in the UFC if he loses on Saturday? If he wins, where does he stand at 205 in the UFC? Well, I still think if he loses, he's going over. I haven't changed my mind in the last minute. But where does he stand in the UFC if he wins? I could see him. I mean, I don't know if he goes into the top 10. I mean, he's probably in the top 15. That's for sure. Um, who's out there for Giga Musasi? I'm very excited. Especially, I'm just excited to see him fight on Saturday because we haven't seen him in a while. Last two performances weren't that great. And now that he's saying he's training for the first time, all this stuff, I, I just think it's very interesting. I mean, a guy like Gustafsson would be a great fight, but I think Gustafsson may have passed him, at least for now. You know, like, you know, it'd be interesting, like, why can't he fight like a Shogun Hua? I know Shogun's coming off a loss, but that can make sense, right? Is Here's my thing. Is Shogun going to take that fight? He just did that, you know, he just went through this uh, same role where it was, here's the young guy coming up, and sure. um, I don't know if he's going to necessarily want to take that fight. I would love to see it, and I agree with you that Gustafsson would have been a great fight, but you're definitely right that Gustafsson's above that now. He, he He's not going to be taking on some guy who just came to the organization. Um He's in line for bigger things than that. I really don't know. I just love watching Gegard fight, though. So I, I don't. It doesn't really matter who he's up against. But Shogun's a good suggestion. I just, I'm just not sure he would take that fight. How about this one? You know, if John Jones is still the champion, Rashad Evans isn't getting a title shot. Rashad beats Antonio Hajara Nogueira. What about Gegard versus Rashad? I'd like it, but I think it would end up bad matchup, right? It's a bad matchup for like, him. Yeah. Rashad's gonna, it's going to look like uh, the King Mo fight, where right. Rashad's going to be. Well, that's the that's the problem. I mean, what are you going to do? Protect him? No, you don't protect him, but, I mean, you don't necessarily give him Rashad Evans. Rashad's right. still in the top five. Sure. Um, There's also Phil Davis out there, but same thing. Sa- same idea, but I think that that would be a better match for sure. I think Gegard versus Phil Davis is very interesting because Gegard's not, like, that easy to k- take down. It's not like anybody with wrestling can take him down. Um, King Mo is, you know, the cream of the crop. And uh, it's not like, you know, it was a lay and pray. Mo was trying to do damage. Um, it was a great win for him. I just think that... Um, Gegard versus wrestlers isn't you know ideal, but I think that versus Phil Davis, who I'm a per- you know personally I'm a big fan of Phil Davis. I think that that'd be a, a pretty fun match actually. Uh, very interesting to see where they will rank Gegard if he wins, like where they put him in. You'll you'll know right away based on who he fights. I'm, 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 that's the fascinating thing about this. Every time I see one of these Strike Force versus UFC fights, I get so excited about it because it does feel like uh, Steven Espinosa said. WWE versus WCW, these guys that we've been thinking about, we're finally going to get to see them in the UFC, and, and that's pretty cool. 
Next question. Injuries aside, where does JDS being booed after an excruciating five rounds stand on the low points of 2012? And then also a rubber match between Kane and JDS, yay or nay. Was it really that loud? It was it was pretty bad. Really? Yeah. See, I'm in the back, and uh, I don't always hear everything very well, and the audio isn't great when I'm doing those interviews. I It, it didn't strike me as something that... I mean, I heard it, but it didn't strike me as like a real black eye. I got to be honest. I mean, I keep sort of making the joke on Twitter, fight capital of the world. I mean, Vegas, to me, it's cool covering events there. There's a certain buzz. Everything's in one neat place. But from the officials that they keep choosing, the referees... Um, the fans not really being great anymore. I mean, I could do without it, to be honest. Uh, I, I, I think they need to sort of maybe put that title of fight capital of the world on ice for a little bit. I mean, I know it's the home of the UFC and all that, but you're booing JDS after that. What the heck are you thinking? That's horrible. As far as um, rubber match, absolutely. To me, what they do with the heavyweight division is a fascinating thing. Of course, Kane is the champion now. JDS probably, I mean, you could get away with doing the, the trilogy right away, but I think they won't do that. It didn't sound like Dana wanted to do that. You've got Alistair fighting Bigfoot, which I kind of wish they just did Alistair versus Kane at this point. But, you know, whatever. He has to get by Bigfoot, and that's not, that's not an easy thing. If Bigfoot wins, now you're in a real pickle. You know, where do you go with Kane next? Because he won't fight Cormier. At least they say they won't. Um, he already annihilated Bigfoot. Do you do the trilogy right away? I, th- I think you need to do one fight in between. If Alistair wins, you obviously do Alistair versus Kane. And, you know, will that turn out to be the same as JDS versus Kane? You know, striker versus wrestler. We'll see how Alistair looks on February 2nd. But I, I, I still think that's the way they go. Alistair wins, you go Alistair versus Kane. If, if Bigfoot wins, I think you do the trilogy if you don't want to do the Cormier fight. Am I forgetting anyone? I don't think so. I think that's how it shakes out. Yeah. Our next question. By the way, let's not forget about Fabrizio Verdum, who I think would be a fascinating matchup for Kane, a fresh matchup. But, you know, he's fighting Big Nog in June, and it's kind of a bummer that it puts him on the sidelines for so long. But maybe Kane fights one more time, and then Verdum, if he looks great, is in the mix, as Dana says. If the UFC gets plagued with injuries again, do you think it might have a chance of losing popularity? Sure. I mean, I think that it hurt them very much in 2012. Um, I think the biggest thing that came out of it was you lost the trust of the people um, to a degree. You know, you announce a great fight card and everyone was like, well, let's see if it actually happens. Slowly but surely, we're not seeing, you know, big, impactful injuries. You know, UFC on Fox 5 remained intact. 154 remained intact. 155 remained intact as far as the main events. Um, You know, as of right now, no changes to the big main events of 2013 but people are waiting to buy tickets they're waiting to make travel plans etc etc that's where it hurts and uh, of course uh, you know a byproduct of that is popularity so you know obviously i think what dana said about you know the 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 training and how fight camps need to be built around a guy as opposed to just having 30 guys in a gym you know bumping into each other and kind of all shuffled together maybe that's the the future of the way guys are training but it's a real big problem, and I think if it remains a problem in 2013, it will hurt the UFC very much. But uh, I think the fans have very, very short-term memories, and if they go on a stretch here of great fight cards, and let's not forget, I said at the beginning of December, that could be the best month of the year, and I think it was the best month of the year as far as uh, fights go. 
if they go on this stretch here with some huge cards coming up with FX7 followed by Fox 6 followed by 156 and Fuel TV uh, 7 and then uh, 157 I mean and then the one in Japan I mean it, it's a crazy stretch coming up in the first quarter of the year then GSP Nick Diaz if all those fights delivered we'll stop talking about this Who do you think will headline oh. the New York event if it does happen? I had such a big smile on my face when I when I heard Dana White talk about this. He said 20th anniversary. They already have a date booked. MSG, of course, they need to get legalized. But what a moment that would be uh, to finally de- not debut. They, they had fights in the state of New York, but to finally debut in MSG and to return to the state of New York, uh, it would be something else. Um, I think he says he knows the fight. And I think the the fight that makes the most sense, at least right now, is John Jones versus Anderson Silva. It's the biggest fight they could put on. John Jones is from the state of New York. He's from Endicott, next to Ithaca, next to Syracuse. Um, and Anderson is Anderson. That would be massive. That, to me, is the fight they put on as far as, you know, the biggest fight. They, at least January, a lot can happen between now and November. But that's what I think they do. What do you think they do? No clue, but that would be humongous. That's the second biggest fight, in my opinion. As I said, I still think GSP Anderson is is the number one. I said this before. I said that, you know, it has the the history. Sure. Um, But but as far as a fight that you don't really know what's going to happen, to me, GSP uh, Anderson versus uh, John is more intriguing. I actually disagree with that still. I think that whether GSP can take Anderson down is more intriguing than whether... Jones can use his size over Anderson. I think that Jones would would be more imposing um, to Anderson than Anderson would be to GSP. I think that it's a closer fight between GSP and uh, Anderson, in my opinion. Wouldn't it be great if we get both fights this year? Well, that would just be 2013, the year of MMA. (laughs) It would launch everything. Yeah, it would be great. What else we got? Do you think that if, big if, Eddie Alvarez goes to the UFC... They should make Alvarez versus Melendez for the number one contender. I don't because I want to see those guys against UFC guys. That's kind of the intrigue. Uh, I think it would be cool to have the former Bellator guy against the Strikeforce champ. I get it. It, it. I mean, I wouldn't be upset, but I kind of want to see them fight other guys, UFC guys. Um, it sounds like Gilbert may get a title shot. To be honest, I want to see the Anthony Pettis versus Benson Henderson. I won't be mad. I mean, Gilbert deserves it. To a degree, I mean, he has not been fighting in the UFC, yes, but champion versus champion, it's hard to look away from that. But I, I just think if Pettis wins on January 26th, he has a win over Benson. The only guy to beat Benson in Zufa, you know, he beat him in the last uh, WC show. How do you not make that match? You can replay the kick over and over again. That sells itself. But if UFC on Fox 7 goes to San Jose. And by the way, I spoke to Dana about this late last week. He said, not a done deal, Benson versus Gilbert. I mean, who knows what they do? Um, But anyway, back to this question. I'd rather see them fight someone else. And I wouldn't be upset if Melendez fought Benson, but I think if Pettis wins on January 26th, he deserves it. Interesting. The next (laughs) question. I think the winner of Pettis versus Cerrone should get the next shot. Do you think the same, or should Melendez get it? I think uh, we covered that. Yeah, but, but what about Cerrone is the question. You know, he lost to Benson twice. One of the fights was incredible. I believe that was WC 43. And then when they fought on the pay-per-view, it was a lot shorter. I still think they can sell it. 
but I think it's weird. But I think if Cerrone wins, you go with Gilbert. If Pettis wins, you go with Pettis. If Eric Koch defeats Ricardo Lamas, should he be next in line for the featherweight title as he was meant to face Aldo at UFC 153? Or does it depend on how he wins? I have a feeling he won't get it. I, I have a feeling that at this point they go with Korean Zombie against the winner of Aldo and uh, and Edgar. Um, but he is, you know, let's not forget. I mean, they could have put a lot of guys in that fourth fight slot on Fox, and they put this fight for a reason. Featherweight division is getting very interesting right now with Aldo coming back. I love that fight against Edgar and Korean Zombie coming back. These two guys are doing great things. Dennis Seaver is down there. Cup Swanson, he's fighting him. I mean, it's getting very interesting. It'll be interesting. I think, I mean, he certainly deserves it. He got two fights taken away from him, one because of Aldo getting injured, one because he got injured. He deserves it, but I think the the fight that will sell more is Korean Zombie is just more popular. Let's see what happens on January 26th. So I guess, yes. Second part of the question, it depends. Which co-main event are you most excited for? These are upcoming co-main events. Machida versus Henderson, Condit versus McDonald. Oh, God. Rampage versus Teixeira, or Hunt versus Struve? Whew. Um, I love that commercial. I saw the commercial yesterday, UFC on Fox 6. Rampage returns. I thought it was great. I know some people were upset that they didn't mention the Flyway title. To me, I mean, whatever. They mentioned world title. This is on Fox. No big deal. I, I can understand why some people get annoyed, but who cares? They mentioned the guys... Get over it. Um, which one am I most looking forward to? Can I, I, you may call me crazy right now. Machida Henderson is a great fight, but uh, Conor McDonald loved that fight. But we saw it, so I won't give it to that one. Rampage to Shara. I mean, that's a great fight, and it's great. What can you say? I love it. I love everything about it. Young versus old, Rampage returning. But Hunt versus Struve is just so fun. In Japan... The size difference, the return to the KFC King, Struve looking so great. I think I may go with that one. What do you think? I like I like that one, but mine is uh, Rory and oh. Carlos Condit. They're all great. They, I mean, these are all fantastic. Yeah. That's why this question stood out to me. They're just great fights. These co-main events are, are delivering. Um, yeah. I mean, like I said, between now and April, the fights are incredible. I just pray they, they all remain intact. Oh, God. I knew this one was coming. <laughs> Had you heard of Tyson Fury before his ridiculous comments? Should an MMA promotion entertain, entertain the idea to shut him up? I heard about him. I'm just so shocked. I can't even tell you how many times I've gotten this question about Tyson Fury, the, the British boxer calling out Cain Velasquez. I couldn't care less. I don't, I, I, I don't care about this whole boxer versus MMA fighter debate. We saw it once. Yes, it was with James Toney. And, you know, they could have picked someone better. But I don't care. What does it mean? Does he want to fight him in an MMA match? Probably not. Then I don't want to see Cain Velasquez in a boxing match. It's stupid. He's trying to get attention. Why do you all keep asking me about it? I don't care about it. Let him stick to, to, to boxing. And apparently he's like one of these guys who runs his mouth and calls everyone out. It's silly. And we shouldn't give it any more time. I mean, good for him for, for trying to promote himself. But it's not going to happen. So it's stupid. Uh -oh. This next one's a, a comment. <laughs> wow. Ariel looks like he was hitting the tanning booth with Snooky over the holidays. Well, I'm happy to say that it is all natural. It's au naturel, as they say in my 
in my home province of Quebec. Uh, yes, I was away. I was relaxing. I had a bit of a tan. Um, as you can see, the hair is longer than usual. As you can see, um, oh, we've got some guests. As you can see, we've, uh, you know, we've grown out the hair at the top here. As you can see, we, uh, we grew out the beard a little bit. Uh, it, it's a bit of vacation, Ariel. I, I will clean myself up. I am going to Las Vegas on Friday morning for the, uh, the World MMA Awards. Uh, thank you very much to them for inviting me and for you all for voting for me uh, third year in a row. Um, and also MMAFunny.com is nominated for website of the year. So that's very exciting. So, you know, you go out, I have that Middle Eastern skin. It's attracted to the sun, but absolutely no tanning for me. I'm not doing the air Coke, I'm not doing that sort of thing. It's not my thing, but uh, I appreciate you noticing. Thank you. What do you think about the longer hair? It's not that long. It's not that long. You, you keep it, you keep it short. You keep this it. is the long, I have is, I haven't had a haircut in two weeks that, I haven't gone that long without a haircut in over a year. Now, it's not Will over there with the ponytail, you know, circa 86, but it's, I mean, it worked for him. But those, those, that's luxurious. Yeah, those, don't get me those wrong. Those are locks. Th those are locks. It, it works for him. I used to have an afro back in the college days, but this, I don't know if you felt my hair, it feels like steel wool on my head. It is very thick, and I look forward to cutting it. But, you know, I just didn't have time. I was relaxing. I'm sorry. Oh, here we go. Yeah, really slumming there with the <laughs> every two weeks. <laughs> um, next uh, question. Yes. It's a good one. Yeah. Will New York Rick get his shot at co-host in 2013? Well, I don't know. Like, what do these people want, co-hosts? I mean, don't you get enough airtime? First off, Joe Daddy here, notorious troll. I don't know if you know this guy, but the guy is like, I mean, the, there's no bigger troll online than this guy. Um so I'm sure he's an upstanding individual. He sounds well, like a very smart man. What does that mean? Does that mean you want to sit here? Is that what you're saying? See, that's the thing. I don't know what that means. <laughs> um, I, I don't understand. I, mean, I, I, don't, I don't even know what it means. It's just... It's just uh, you want the attention. Yeah. Hmm. That's it. By the way, does, does Joe Daddy have the rights to put a EstherlynMMAFighting.com picture as his background? I'll look into that. I'll ask uh -oh. our, our lawyers. I think we have enough uh, lawsuits <laughs> from yes. this show today. That is true. Um, Co-host in 2013. I mean, I don't know. Let's find out. If he wins our little... Maybe... May, hey. I'll tell you what. If he wins... Ariel, don't do it. Don't say anything you're, you're not going to mean. Wait a second. Wait a second. If he wins our little game here, and I've, I've seen some numbers thrown out, 350, 400, maybe. Well, we have to think about it for next, for next week. But maybe that means one show as co-host. I don't know who will do your job. I, I you do it so that. well. If he loses, though, you know, you know what they say about losers. You know, you got to go. You don't got to go home, but you got to get the hell out of here. That's what I mean. What there has to be something at stake. Yeah, I mean, maybe I'll just put my money on uh, Dion Starring this week. Yeah, that and huge upset will get me at least fifteen, twenty to one, and I'll be set. I'll be co-host by next show. Well, if you think Dion Starring's gonna win, go for it. Although I did say that it's UFC on FX Seven. That's when it starts. So you have to pay attention to the guidelines. Uh, but maybe that's at stake again. A lot of people writing, writing, uh, you know, how much and all that, what it should be for. Let me know what should be at stake. Yeah, it's in your hands. We'll, we'll figure this out this week. We'll figure it out. That's it. This oh, that's it. it. That's yep. it. Um, all right. So who won the DVD? We had a, a few good ones. Very good ones. Um, I like the question about Gegard Mousasi in the UFC. That was good. That was on our mind. Mm-hmm. Um, the one about uh, the UFC losing popularity due to injuries, mm -hmm. relevant right now. Right. 
Um, Cerrone Pettis, a fight that you know people are interested in. I thought that bringing that back up was a good one. As far as the title shot, right? Melendez over over uh, getting uh, right, Eddie right, Alvarez right, right, or Gilbert right. Melendez, right? Um, and I like the JDS uh, booing one as well, just because that had to be talked about. That was just terrible, pathetic. Yeah, one thing I will say, I mean, I look at the website right now, 239 comments, a lot of them questions. you got to show the website some love. I mean, really? You only asked two well, questions from the not website. Not all of those are questions. A lot of oh, them are not? comments? Okay, okay. Yeah, comments, I just replies. I love that there's so much activity on the page. Um, just don't ignore the website. That's all I'm saying. <sighs> all right. We got plenty of love for the website. Oh, someone says, much better, Ariel. Keep it up. I'm assuming my 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 looks is looking good. <laughs> um, <laughs> okay, so uh, the winner is, what do you say? Who are you giving it to? 100 fights. I like the gay guard one, but it's, it's uh, you have a... You know what? It's been a strike force theme. Yeah. Give it to gay guard. Gay guard Musasi. Fighting Mike Kyle this Saturday night, live on Showtime. 100 fights. It's yours, courtesy of Anchor Bay Entertainment. All right, I think we covered it all. Let me just look at my little checklist here. Yeah, that's it. Uh, again, just wanted to mention, thank you very much, everyone who voted. We are going to the awards on Saturday. We'll have the coverage for you on, uh, not on Saturday, on Friday. And then we'll have the coverage for you on MMAfighting.com. And then we go to Oklahoma City on Saturday to cover the final Strike Force event. Isaac? Shout out to John Pollock. <laughs> Again, how many? Sh- I mean, the guy even texted me during the show. Unbelievable. Well, there it is, my friends. A great show, an interesting show. We heard from three men that we haven't heard from in a very long time, all presenting sort of different, different vibes, right? You had Eddie, who's clearly upset. I mean, you go on his Twitter right now; he's doing a Q and A. It's unbelievable. Um, really, sort of laying it all out there. Good for him. And my colleague over at MMAfighting.com, well, I'll just say that we were working on a sort of advancement of that story. Um, So you got Eddie Alvarez. We wish him the best of luck. Appreciate him coming out and sort of laying it all out there and speaking the truth. At least we think that's the truth. And follow him on Twitter, E. Alvarez Fight, to get more on the situation. Then we had Scott Coker, a bit of a nostalgic feel. Appreciate everything he's done. Final Strike Force card on Saturday. Then you have Steven Espinoza, who I think painted a nice picture for the future and even the past. I mean, it was a very positive interview, and, and I'm curious to see what Showtime does next as far as MMA is concerned. Appreciate Dave Meltzer stopping by. Check him out, MMAfighting.com. He's also on Twitter and WrestlingObserver.com. Great insight as far as Strike Force's history. Vitor Belfort, good luck to him. UFC on FX7. Ed Herman, good luck to him. January 12th, this Saturday, the final Strike Force event, Chesapeake Energy Arena. Thanks for the memories. A great promotion. They say goodbye on Saturday night. We say goodbye. Today, we're back. Same time, place. Next week, check us out. iTunes, Twitter, all that stuff. Peace. I'm out of here.